and welcome to Game and Watch, the podcast where we talk about games we've been gaming and shows and movies we've been watching. Uh, I am Aaron, and I'm James. And I probably should have mentioned that the full title is Game and Watch with Aaron and James. You don't need to us, the hosts. You don't need to. They know by now. I mean, it's I in hope. the title. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be, I think it'd be really exciting if one of us like gets sick or has to drop out for a week to just have a surprise guest host. And there's just uh, a, a different voice and we never explain who it is. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm really hoping to get uh, COVID. That's, it's not funny to joke about COVID. No. Uh, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to get SARS. Uh, hopefully I'll get a mild case of SARS. Yeah. Have to have to sit out a podcast and, um, you know, who knows who we'll get. I hope you get SARS too. God, yeah, I've been trying. <laughs> um so this is a continuation in our four part series where uh the two of us have t- selected a game and a film that the other has not played or watched um keeping in theme with the title and concept of the show uh gaming and watching uh and so uh we gave each other games and movies to play and watch um and now uh for the first time the other is experiencing them and we were talking about it so last week we covered the film Holy Motors, which is a movie you greatly enjoy yes. um, and I had never seen. This week we are switching gears to a video game. This is a video game that I and I think many other people would argue is probably one of the best of all time um, that you have experienced for the first time. And that is Chrono Trigger. Chrono and Trigger. here starts the beginning of the pronunciation differences between you and I. I say Crano, Crano, because, you know, I'm uh, from Chicago, uh, uh, but uh, you are refined and you say Chrono. You can't play that card the rest of your life. It's not a card you can play. It's really not. I, it's yeah. really an excuse for uh, a regional dialect that I should have uh, adapted out of by now. But We are playing Chrono Trigger and I have lots of thoughts. Um, I, I'm glad. I, yeah. I was hoping you would have lots of thoughts. No, yeah. See, everybody, you're just going to talk uh, by yourself for the next uh, hour and a half. No, no, I am. This was something that I should have played a long time ago. It has been on my radar for far too long. Just kept getting pushed down the list of games to play. Like, it's just it's been on my radar for so long. And I couldn't have thought of a better reason to play it than this podcast except any other reason because i should have had this game in my life sooner yes um absolutely uh would you like me to take more of the behind the scenes stuff uh because this was my game and i outlined go ahead all i will say is just what i want to what i want to say just to i i my guess and it's not really it's more of a guess. it's not really a guess i know you love this game oh yeah I like it a lot. I don't love it. And I'm going to talk about why I don't love it. I I was kind of expecting that. I think that's a completely reasonable uh, opinion to have. I think we'll, we'll talk about it, but I yeah. think a lot of um, people who really rave about it are people who played it when they were way younger. Uh, and I think it's seen through a lens of nostalgia for a lot of people. Absolutely. Um, but I also think that it's really foundational to kind of JRPGs uh, that came after um, really to a lot of stuff. Yeah. I maybe wish that I had played it when I was younger, even if I still didn't love it. I just wish that this was kind of my entryway into some things. You'll, I'm sure you'll talk about that. Yeah. 
Um, but the, the reason why we're even talking about Chrono Trigger uh, today is that it was kind of this crazy uh, perfect storm of creative forces, uh, the kind of thing that people in the early to mid-90s did not think they were going to get. It's a super group. It, it really is. It's like the Avengers of um, Japanese media, really. Um, that really only speaks to like two areas of Japanese media, specifically video games, JRPG specifically, and anime and manga. So really, maybe not that, but definitely uh, the perfect storm of those specific factors. Can you imagine if Shigeru Miyamoto, Hideo Kojima, and um, Nomura, T- Tetsuya Nomura, Tetsuya Nomura got together and made a game? Uh, Nomura Do you think the world his... would end? Nomura was involved in this, which is oh, he was. like... Wow, talk about like the one kid who grew up to be evil. They must have like <laughs> chained him to the wall and like only let him say like a couple words a day. Honestly, or they're like, you know, we we thrown all these characters you've designed enough with the zippers and belts. Uh, and instead of like taking that <laughs> back and doing something constructive with it, uh, it seems like he festered in it. I would love the idea of like Nomura tapping Akira Toriyama on the shoulder and being like, hey, could, could you add like, do you think his pants should have a little more zippers? And then Toriyama just slaps him across the face. Says, no, no. Yeah, I, I feel like the only character with a zipper, and I'm just saying this without referencing the character art because I think it makes the most sense is Luca because she is an inventor and she would have pockets and things. She would but have I feel pockets. like if it were up to Nomura, everyone would be overloaded in belts and zippers and pockets. Sure thing. Yeah. But uh, Nomura, all involved, uh, was not one of the main creators of this game. Uh, It was kind of dreamed up in 1992 uh, originally, um, which was several years before its actual release date. So uh, it was conceived by Hironobu Sakaguchi of Final Fantasy fame. Um, He created the first Final Fantasy, was instrumental in that series um, for a long time. Uh, until Nomura, among others, kind of uh, took over. His swan song was Final Fantasy IX, um, and he has since moved on to uh, form his own studio, came up with Blue Dragon, Lost Odyssey, huge, huge figure uh, in the JRPG world. Another huge figure is Yuji Horii. He is uh, the creator of the Dragon Quest series, also massive, massive JRPG series in Japan. Um, We in the West kind of have a weird inverse relationship with these series, Uh, In the West, Final Fantasy has generally always been more popular, uh, and Dragon Quest wasn't even known as Dragon Quest until recently. It was known as Dragon Warrior. Um, Recently, Dragon Quest has kind of come into its own in the West, but um, in Japan, Dragon Quest is a really big deal. Um, I believe the games are released on Fridays uh, so that people can have all weekend to play it. And uh, That's cool. I think even schools uh, are not in session on days that Dragon Quest games comes out. Really? Uh, and I'm not making that up, and I'm almost. Oh, sure I didn't think you were making true. it up, but I'm almost sure that that's true to this day. But it's I so it's... cool, it sounds false. Yeah, I <laughs> fight me on it. Someone find that I'm wrong again. Not, uh, not, not personally attacking you for right. relaying this information. <laughs> From what I understand, uh, they are released. Dragon Quest games uh, either currently are or formerly, formerly were released on, I believe, Fridays, and that day was also either purposely uh, given off to children or uh, coincided with the day they would have off. The idea being no one can wait for Dragon Quest games. Everyone wants to go home and play them and play them all weekend. Um, and that's what they do. So clearly like very important series. Uh, and then also this guy uh, who did the art direction, uh, Akira Triyama. I've never heard of him. He did some manga. not famous at all. No, he did some manga called Dragon Ball. 
um, Dragon Ball Z, uh, Dragon Ball Super, among, you know, being a lead designer for the Dragon Quest series. Akira Toriyama is obviously extremely famous. Um, so having all of these figures involved in the creation of a JRPG was, as I said, kind of this crazy perfect storm. Um, Kazuhiko Aoki uh, was added as a producer in 1994. Um, and from my research, I didn't see exactly what about that kind of coalesced the project. Hmm. But once he uh, was brought on as a producer, um, that was in 1994. The gamers were released in 95. So I have a feeling that they probably had a lot of big ideas, but I think out. Aoki, uh, who is also the Final Fantasy three and four, um, I believe he designed the battle system for three. Or I'm sorry, he does. He was a designer for three. He designed the battle system for four. Okay. Uh, the ATV system, which is obviously really huge, um, but the impression I get is, for whatever reason, adding him kind of cemented everything um, and pushed the game forward through production. So this game had a staff of around fifty to sixty people, uh, which at the time was. Uh, pretty large for video game development also uh we mentioned the final fantasy dragon quest significance but each of those jrpg series at the time were owned and created by different companies so final fantasy was uh the product of square co and dragon quest was the product of um another company um enix right square enix uh so the idea of square and enix coming together uh mixing staff to create a game was was huge at the time. Um, looking back now, it kind of makes perfect sense because the company is Square Enix uh, and they have come together and that is what they do full time now. Um, but at the time it was, uh, it was a really big deal to see them working together. Um, this game, Chrono Trigger, was originally designed to be part of the Mana series. Um, so titles like Secret of Mana, Legend of Mana. Um, you can definitely see that in the art style, especially with definitely. the character of Chrono um, and a lot of the monster designs. The yep. Mana series is known for being, um, I want to say anime adjacent, but it's essentially yeah. anime's art style. Um, it's like an anime art style um, action RPG that began on the Super Nintendo um, and has kind of continued on since. Another um, one I of the major, major JRPG players of that era. And so much so where it's now, I mean, it's cool to shit on this game in Final Fantasy and to play like to boast about how the mana series of the snes era is actually the best well it's funny because it's it's still around it's still a series people play i think they just did a remaster of one or two of the mana or, yeah. mana or mana games it's clearly a series like people have affection for it's definitely a blind spot uh for me mm -hmm. for games of this era and for jrpgs um, but obviously it's popular enough in japan where they were originally going to have this be part of it Yep. Um, I just never knew that. I discovered that in my research uh, for this episode, and I thought it was kind of interesting, um, especially with kind of the modern resurgence mana games have had. I think, like I said, two remasters would come out recently. But enough about mana. Um, so time travel was selected early as a central plot device. This was specifically an addition by Yuji Horii uh, of Dragon Quest, um, which makes sense. Uh, I believe a lot of the early... Um, Dragon Quest games specifically, I think, were meant to have time travel elements, but they were not included. Dragon Quest V, The Hand of the Heavenly Bride, which I have played, uh, does feature time travel elements. Hmm. Um, so I, and some of the other Dragon Quest games do. So I think time travel is uh, a topic that uh, Yuji Hori is just interested in. Yep. Um, I would say that this is probably one of the better um, executions of that concept that I've seen in a video game. Same. Um, and this is kind of where we'll talk about different gameplay elements that they developed that uh, 
are probably ones that have been seen for the first time. We'll go over like what those are and what those mean for the game when we get to more of the gameplay elements. Um, but these are just things that are seen in Chrono Trigger that I don't maybe have been seen in other games, but this united them all um, together. Was this your first exposure to the grandfather paradox or what when you first played this game like way back did you not understand what that was no i we'll talk about my experience later but i played this probably when i was around like 10 or 11 so i was familiar with the grandfather paradox probably like from cartoons and things okay Uh, and and personal experience and personal experience i fathered myself um it was great uh, there's that great there's that great it was wonderful there's that great futurama episode that has the same plot right yeah fries his own grandfather. yeah i just picture like somebody just like interviewing you about that and you're just like it was great it was great and that's all i'm gonna say about it yeah yeah <laughs> um but so certain things that when we say them today are pretty standard for a lot of games uh this was kind of the first game to include them and to include multiple of these together so uh, the, the idea of new game plus you beat your game, you get to carry over all of your progress, um, in terms of like equipment and levels. Um, but the story begins fresh. Uh, so it's a way for you to kind of blaze through the story again, focusing on things like, um, you know, character and story, um, as well as if there were any crazy difficulty challenges, you would be more likely to be able to tackle them on a new game plus or plus plus or plus plus plus, mm-hmm. right? We see that in all the time in games now, um, including our favorite series, Dark Souls um, and Bloodborne and other things. I'm sure you can name, you know, many games that feature new game plus. Yeah. And what, what this is, does kind of in addition to that, though, is I think there's a real emphasis on the on repetition. I mean, many of those new game plus games, you're just playing the same game again with a couple new things and you know just harder enemies but there's well as you as you'll talk about the endings and such there's there's a lot of value in going back and playing this game again no i'll admit i did not have time to do that for recording this though i uh plan to in the future yeah and we'll we'll i'll clarify uh kind of my points on some of these uh when we get to what works and what doesn't because i do think most of these elements work um, but yeah, you're right. This is this is a new game plus that feels almost essential, whereas other games, the new game plus feels like it was tacked on to get people to kind of just run through the game again. Yeah. Um, this does not feel like the case. Sometimes new game plus, like the only motivation for it, like from developers putting it in the game, is just, hey, do you want to play the game again? No. Exactly. Well, how about we give you all the stuff you did? Right. And it, it's, it's like, oh, the then idea, yeah, I will play it again. Right. Well, and also the idea of saying like, hey, we value your time that you spend playing this game. We're not going to make you start from level zero if you want to play again. Um, you know, you can stay at level 67 or whatever. And I um, often try not to get suckered into that, except for like my favorite games. But then, you know, Resident Evil 8's just like, hey, you want to play the game again? Well, not really. I just beat it. It's like, well, you can have unlimited ammo. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too, that we should clarify. A lot of times, um, New Game Plus, like I said, is mainly to uh, experience the story again um, with limited gameplay friction because you're so overpowered. Um, But other games do use New Game Plus to add gameplay elements or take them away. This game doesn't really do that. Um, The New Game Plus seems almost exclusively for story considerations. Um, But But it does more with the story considerations than a lot of games do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, 
I agree. Yeah. Um, the other thing uh, that this kind of added, which exists in other games, but it, it really became a central focus here, are branching and contradictory story paths. Um, so being a time travel game, uh, there are circumstances and situations where you may be able to affect time um, and you may be given choices. And those are, you know, binary choices. You can't pick a middle ground. So there's a side quest, for example, near the end of the game um, where you must pick between two items. Um, and so that plays into the new game plus plays into the multiple endings all these kind of things play together for uh this effect um and so these branching story paths you may play through the game and feel unsatisfied with the way something turned out or you may want more information about something uh with new game plus you can pick the other option um you can get uh maybe a little more background information or if you're playing through the game without any kind of guide and you may have missed something that you would like to go back and get um, you can do that. Um, that is possible. Yep. Um, going along with both of those are multiple endings. So that's kind of a natural um, extension of those branching paths. This game features multiple endings. Um, we'll talk about them later. Um, but I think it's really cool, especially for a time travel story, to show how things could have played out differently. Um, I think maybe too many of them are kind of like joke or quirk endings. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but it did feature multiple endings and like fully produced endings. It's not just all of them for how simple some of them are. They're not just like a text box at the end of the credits. These are produced endings. Um, and also this was kind of different for the time. This is something that we're seeing a lot more in, you know, in modern day. Uh, but this game had a pretty short overall playtime for a single playthrough. So the, the philosophy of JRPGs of the era and even today um, is you want to give players um, kind of bang for their buck. You want to give them a, a lot of like time investment to this game. So think about something like Persona, right? That series, you're getting a lot of game for 60 bucks. Yep. Um, Chrono Trigger at the time, I believe was $70 or $60 brand new. Uh, the overall playtime for one playthrough in this game is probably what, like 20 to 25 hours? Yeah. Yeah, almost like half. Well, not half. I, I would say other JRPGs of this era probably in the 40 hour range, yeah. 35, 40 hours. So this is pretty significant. It's pretty significant. It is. And again, it all works to that effect, right? You, the playtime is shorter, but you're probably going to be doing new game plus to follow those branching paths to see different endings. So you play through two, maybe only 10 hours play through three, maybe only six hours. Um, so all of these things work together uh, to an effect. Um, and again, I'll kind of some, you know, come to a summation about why all those things work together when we get to what works. Yeah. Um, but this game came out in 1995. Uh, we said it was conceived in 92. Production really went underway with the addition of Aoki in 94. Came out in 95, which is late in the SNES lifespan. Um, they did consider using alternative uh, forms of uh, presenting this game to the public. Um, so it wound up on a traditional cartridge. Um, I believe it was a cartridge with more memory. Um, but they did look at uh, disc-based uh, presentations of this game, as well as cartridges that featured like additional added cartridge space um, to accommodate the large data of the game. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the uh, really great graphics and art design, um, yeah. which for the for the time was probably not easy to fit on one cart. But also, again, the the multiple different endings, multiple different branching paths. Like for a Super Nintendo game, this was incredibly ambitious. Yeah. And then I suppose we should also note that this game was later re-released and kind of remastered a little bit 
for the Nintendo DS, which is how I played it. Yes, uh, the DS is kind of the definitive version um, for a couple of reasons uh, that I will bring up in just a little bit. Yep. But uh, I love this game. Um, when it came out, critics generally loved this game. It got rave reviews. It got a lot of accolades. Um, even still to this day, uh, people are giving this game 10s out of 10s, uh, saying this is maybe one of the greatest games of all time. Um, I don't think it's the greatest game of all time. I definitely think it is an important game. I have a lot of fondness for it. Um, and at the end of the day, even if you take the rose colored glasses off, I think at its core, it's a solid game. I would completely agree with that. I, I do. I really admire the game. I, I, I certainly acknowledge its influence. Um, I don't, it's not that I want to like come out against it really hard when i hear people call it like one of the greatest of all time but but when i hear people call it one of the greatest of all time i i can't help but like just switch from my i really like this game to want to criticize it kind of mode i i i definitely understand that i get the same way when people say uh ocarina of time is the greatest game of all time yeah um, i i I'm, i i used to not feel that way i used to be one of those people and now i'm very much I'm not very much. I still love the game. It's just one of those things where you're like, you got to acknowledge its flaws or you do the video game community a disservice. Yeah. And too, I think, you know, especially in the modern day, we're going to look back at some games that are really foundational and important and they're not going to hold up to 2021 standards and that's okay. Um, but like, I think that, and I mean, I know you agree um, the reason we're looking at this, the reason why anyone still plays Chrono Trigger or talks about it is because it's so foundational to so many things that come after. Yeah. Um, you you can't have certain games or series without having Chrono Trigger first. Um, and that kind of segues into the fact that this was an introduction to a lot of stuff, basically, for a lot of people. Um, so for a lot of people, this was their first JRPG. Um, for a lot of people, this was their first exposure to anime or manga or that kind of art style. Um, for a lot of people specifically, this was their introduction to Akira Toriyama, um, to Dragon Ball, to all those things. Uh, their first exposure to Final Fantasy and Squareco and all those games. Same thing with Dragon Quest and Enix. Um, this was maybe some people's first foray into like fantasy, sci-fi, or fiction that you know uh, blurs the lines of those genres. Um, in a lot of JRPGs at the time, you have things like Dragon Quest, which is very traditional swords and sorcery against something like Fantasy Star, which is very uh, traditionally sci-fi. Um, this has both, right, with that time travel mechanic. Yeah. Um, also time travel fiction in general, right? You asked if this is my first exposure to the grandfather paradox. It wasn't, uh, but for a lot of little kids who got this game at the time, it probably was. Yeah. Um, and then again, the new game plus mechanic or the idea of replaying a game at all. Um, remember, this is the Super Nintendo. It did have meteor gameplay experiences. It did have, you know, big JRPGs. Um, but the idea of even replaying games um, for some people just didn't cross their mind until this new game plus mechanic um, was a bespoke way where you could do that and were rewarded for doing it. Um, rewarded by endings, which for some people mean less than others. But uh, I think that... The idea of replaying a game at all with New Game Plus was brand new for a lot of people that picked up this game. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, new to a lot of people are just deeply existential, um, horrifying thoughts and feelings about Robo being trapped in the desert for hundreds of years. 
that was um pretty pretty devastating yeah he seems fine um and one again, of my biggest takeaways of the game and i don't say that uh to like knock the game it was really one of the things i thought about <laughs> the most well and it's another futurama reference because yeah. again in that roswell episode that's exactly what bender does yep um, as we said, like this is by many considered to be uh, one of the greatest games of all time. I agree uh, that it's one of the greatest, you know, if the pool of greatest games is 250 games or 100 games, like I think that makes the list. Uh, even if it's not top 10 greatest game of all time, I think it's probably top 50 most important games of all time. I would say that all too frequently I was making comparisons to other JRPGs, most notably Final Fantasy VI, just because Final Fantasy VI was from the same era. I, we obviously, we're not going to turn this into a podcast about Final Fantasy VI, but I will say that I do think Final Fantasy VI is a better game while still, you know, fully acknowledging the influence and craft, craft. It sounds like I sound, sounds like I said craft craft of this game um again not trying to hate on this game for anything that i say during this podcast um i just wanted to, i want to defend final fantasy 6 because i think that it is closer to the best jrpg ever both in my mind and objectively but i mean i, I could draw some comparisons and maybe i will throughout uh, i don't want to burden uh, you know i don't want to spend too much time doing it um you know, it's just, it's just, uh, I couldn't help but make the comparisons. I agree. I made those com- comparisons too, especially playing it, you know, later um, after having played Final Fantasy VI multiple times. Um, I will say though, I fully, yeah, I fully agree that Six is a technically better game in almost every area. Um, the only key difference is I would say like Final Fantasy VI is definitely like uh, the expert mode uh, SNES game to play. I feel like Absolutely. this is a very beginner mode SNES game to play. I was going to say accessibility is incredible. Yeah. Like, this game is so accessible to all I, kinds of audiences. And that's why I think this still gets talked about more. Um, I think it does a great job with accessibility. Even if I don't gameplay wise, think this matches the depth of six. Yes. And yeah, yeah, actually that's a, that's a good way of putting it. And I, I also should note that my, I don't have a nostalgia bias for Final Fantasy VI either because I did not play Final Fantasy VI until I was 30. And I still whoa. loved it. And whoa, whoa, it's one whoa. of my favorites. Can we stop everything? Cancel the podcast? Wait, why am I finding this out on air? You played Final Fantasy VI for the first time when you were 30? Man, maybe 28 or 29. Goodness. Probably, probably 30, yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, that's going to be... Okay, that's a spicy meatball. We're going to have to... Before we're going to we- have to cut up and eat off air this is a good segue this is a good segue into my history with this game and i know that i'm playing for the first time but there's still somewhat of a history i think worth mentioning because my exposure to a lot of jrpgs was through watching my friends play them and Mm -hmm. so final fantasy 6 was a game i saw people play Okay, that's that's fair because in my mind, your only exposure to it was no you know, as a as a jaded twenty nine year old gamer. And I'm no, like Jimmy, no, no James, well, like you have to in its time, but also well, it's great still today. As like I went, I, I've been kind of going through like I picked a weird time in my life to start playing or replaying JRPGs from my youth, um, or from, like from you know the time 
that we were younger. I mean, this, this from this era and, and beyond maybe, you know, into the, the late nineties as well. Um, but so I have been aware of Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy six for a long time. I've been, I mean, his influence is well known by me and by many other people who haven't played the game. Um, I would say the biggest factor that I've taken from this game, like, or that I took from this game prior to actually playing it was the music. I've I've been aware of this music for a long, long, long time for like 20 years. I've been like, I I adore this soundtrack. I adore a lot of the, the JRPG soundtracks of that era, um, Final Fantasy six included. And so this was no exception. So I was very, very familiar with this game. I probably on one or more occasions thought, what if I never get to play it? I'm just going to like spoil it for myself. And I did, but I've since forgot basically everything uh, <laughs> except one like key thing. But honestly, I don't think it, it really don't think it took away from my enjoyment playing it for the first time. So it's good. I mean, I, I, at one point I know I'm sure I went on Wikipedia and read the whole summary, but remembered nothing, almost nothing. Yeah, and it's one of those Wikipedia summaries, and I only say this from having to, you know, compile an outline of the story. Um, the Wikipedia synopses, you get the big beats, but uh, this game has so much personality to the characters in the moments um, that even if you read the plot, even if you remembered it, um, I think though that like that charm, like in the moment, is so uh, intoxicating. Yeah, I think even if you know the big beats, like you, you will get enjoyment out of this game. I think you will still get enjoyment out of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was you. Um, I, on the other hand, uh, have a long history with this game. Um, once I discovered what emulation was and that you could pretty easily emulate uh, SNES and Genesis games on um, and, and NES games on the on home computer, uh, I definitely did that starting at age, you know, nine, ten around then um and kind of downloaded the backlog of like every snes game i heard was good but obviously didn't play we were a genesis family so a lot of sonic the hedgehog but we did not have a super nintendo so on my emulator i tried to play games like super mario world and more action oriented ones uh but the keyboard controls just left a lot to be desired so what i wound up playing were a lot of jrpgs so i played final fantasy 4 final fantasy 6 uh chrono trigger um, I experienced all of those big SNES JRPGs on emulator um, at home on my computer. Um, so my history is a little different because I did originally when I played with emulator, I would play with things like, you know, time sped up and I would play around with the settings. Um, so the first game I did, or the first time I played this game, it was slightly modified, um, basically just to speed things up. I have since played the DS version. Um, but I have never actually played on a SNES, the true original SNES version. Um, I will also say having played uh, the SNES version in emulation and also the PlayStation version on PS1 and the DS version. Um, as we said, I believe the DS version is uh, the definitive one. Um, it has almost no loading time. Uh, I think the UI is really clean. Um, and I think it organizes endings and music and galleries and theaters um, into like a really easy package. Um, and it's a way to play the game on the go. Yeah. Which is always great. Yeah. Um, so I've, I, I played this game as, as a kid. I absolutely was enthralled by it. Um, I played the game many, many times to get most of the endings. Um, I played it again when it came out on DS, uh, which I believe I was in college. 
Um, again, same thing. I played multiple times to get all the endings. I was more internet savvy uh, at this time. So any endings I didn't get, I just looked up on YouTube um, or read about on the internet. Um, and the DS version also includes two additional endings, including an additional boss, an additional dungeon. Um, so I definitely played all those. We're not going to talk about them today because um, they're exclusive to the DS version, but they're more Chrono Trigger um, and you get some cool items from doing them. So um, yeah, I love this game. Uh, yeah, just I have years and years and years and years of experience with it. I also love the music. I also love Media by Akira Toriyama. I love Final Fantasy. I love Dragon Quest. Um, and so this is kind of, the again, like we talked about, the perfect storm of all those things. Um, this definitely isn't the type of game I play like once a year or, you know, even once every five years. Uh, but I do, you know, experience a drive to play this game again. Um, and I was really happy to revisit it for uh, recording this podcast. Regarding the music, I... Ah, uh, yes. I'm, I'm glad you said that. After you make your point, I did have two trivia facts about the, the music uh, that I thought were kind of interesting. I don't want to misquote him. And I apologize, Dave. I apologize if I misquote you. Uh, my brother, Dave, is a, a huge lover of JRPG music. He composed the opening theme for our podcast. He has been kind of writing his own JRPG inspired music for since high school. Um, still does it. Uh, he, so I really respect his opinion about music in general, especially JRPG music. And I believe, and this is what I'm, this is not what I'm worrying about misquoting him on, but I do believe this is his favorite soundtrack overall. And I think what he said to me once was that some of the music in this game, or at least maybe one song, try some things that just don't work musically that are like, you know, that the music theory would tell you shouldn't work. Um, but it does work. I wish I knew the song, but it just, I, I think that that alone is a, is emblematic of how great the soundtrack is. It really is. It's so good. It is so good. And it's funny you say that because I actually think uh, your brother's observation connects to something that I discovered, which I did not know. So I cannot recall the name of the composer uh, off the top of my head. I feel terrible. Oh, that um, was his first one. Sorry. Well, so, so <laughs> yeah. So uh, the composer composed this, um, I believe it was his first soundtrack, but also something I didn't realize is that he or she uh, or they, we don't know their gender identity. Uh, the person who composed the soundtrack, the majority of it became ill and had to um, basically bow out. Um, oh, and wow. they, they brought in Nobuo Umatsu, um, the composer of Final Fantasy music up and through, you know, one through 10 um, to finish uh, the music of the game, which was an accident. It wasn't supposed to happen. You know, the person composing the music um, didn't mean to get sick. Uh, but I actually think that this was amazing i think this was a yeah. perfect disaster to have uh because nobu matsu uh, you know listen to final fantasy music it's it's phenomenal it's it's incredible um but knowing what i know of him because i i love that music and i looked into him as a person um nobu no matsu has absolutely no formal music training whatsoever yeah um and he goes based on you know examples of similar songs he's heard and he wants to put his own spin on it um, but also he just goes by what he thinks sounds good. Um, and I think that's really interesting that it connects to your brother's comment, because I'm really wondering if the song that your brother is talking about is one composed by Novo. Uh, Novo yeah. Novo, Novo Umatsu. I'll have to ask him. And then the other composer's name is Yasunori Mitsuda, 
It's yes, Mitsuda. Thank you. Thank you. Mitsuda. Um, but again, in another weird perfect storm thing, uh, I think the the fact that he got sick and had to bow out and Umatsu came to finish is just this crazy blessing in disguise because um, uh, his music is incredible. The music already composed for the game, incredible. Um, so to just put them together is is next level. Yeah. But what happens in this game of time travel and good music? Um, so we... Uh, jump into the year 1000 AD. Um, there are multiple different time periods as this is a time travel game. They are designated by what year they take place. Um, our standard vanilla main character year is 1000 AD. Uh, we have our spiky orange haired main character Chrono spelled C-R-O-N-O because they could not fit an H uh, because of the Super Nintendo and the game's uh, limitations for mm-hmm. lettering, which I think is fun. Yeah. Um, but Chrono is waken, awoken by his mother to attend the Millennial Fair, which is going on at the nearby town. Um, when we leave our house, uh, we see this bright, colorful overworld map. I love the little details of the fact that like the clouds move, um, birds are flying, um, like ships are bobbing on the sea. Um, this feels like a much more alive and colorful world map than other JRPGs. Um, he attends the Millennial Fair to see uh, an invention by his childhood friend, Luca, who is an inventor. Um, when he is at the fair, he meets, and here comes our pronunciation battle again. How do you pronounce her name? Marl. Merrill. I say Merrill. Mm. Uh, because Merrill is a real name. Marl is not. Well, I mean, this is one where I won't insist that i'm correct i've also heard marley um which i don't think it's marley i think it's merrill because merrill is a human an actual well name so one have. of the reasons that i say that is because i know that in japanese the character's name is maru i believe uh, so that's where i get the ma from marl okay marl marl yeah Either way, uh, I'm going to say Meryl. Um, while at the fair, he meets Meryl. Um, we don't know this, but she is the princess of Guardia, um, Chrono's kingdom. She is attending the fair in disguise. So she and Chrono pal up. Uh, you can do various activities at the fair. Um, but the uh, kind of centerpiece is Luca's demonstration uh, of a teleportation device. Um, while demonstrating it, uh, Meryl's pendant that she is wearing reacts to the machine um, there's a big mishap and Meryl vanishes. So Luca obviously feeling responsible and Chrono feeling like he wants to help his brand new friend um, open a gateway with the help of, of an invention created by Luca to follow Meryl. Um, unbeknownst to them, she has traveled into the past. Yes. And so we have our first. I love how the game kind of just throws you right into the time travel thing. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't fuck around at all. No. Um, and tell us, where do they go? What happens? They go to 600 AD, 400 years in the past. Um, I also apologize in advance for, I don't think I'm going to be capable of using the same pronunciations as you. So that is, <laughs> I apologize that to anyone listening where we're jumping around. Um, so Marl has been mistaken. Uh, it was well, Actually, let's back up a little bit because you end up in an area that looks very similar to the kingdom you were previously in and you walk through a forest and you get your first real awesome soundtrack uh moment and and also some of your first fighting so i was referring more to like the very peaceful uh song that plays um let's talk about the battle really quick because that's when you first experience battling right yes 
Um, uh, we should we should note 1080 is extremely like peaceful. You're not going to find yes. monsters in the old world map. 680, there are monsters about, uh, which connects to the plot. So tell us. Well, I was just going to say like the mo- I was just going to talk about battling in general because the monsters. <clears throat> this game does not have random encounters. No, it's a very loose. I wouldn't quite describe it to somebody now if I was recommending the game to someone who hadn't played. I wouldn't quite say that it doesn't have random encounters. It doesn't have random encounters, but you. To me, when people hear that, when JRPG fans hear that, they assume that they can decide more or less when they want to engage in battle. That is half true in this That's game. Yeah, and that's a really good point and a good way of describing it. It's, it. it's not random battle. You can see the battles happening, but it's it's almost like limited control battle. Yes. Well, and, and just also that, like, I mean, the game tries to tell or, you or that I should you say, can I should say battle avoidance it's like yes. limited control battle avoidance right where compared to like a persona 5 you can you have a little bit more control on whether or not you want to avoid battles and I hear Dragon Quest 11 you can avoid battles too if you'd like yes. um yes. so you can't you know in many instances you're going to get ambushed where there's just no way you know, enemies just come out of the trees or out of nowhere seemingly um or you, you may or you may see one enemy and you're like, I'll take him on. And then yep. upon approaching one enemy, like three jump out of the shadows. It's 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 neat. Um, I, I do wish there was they actually did have an uh, an enemy avoidance situation, like a complete ability to avoid ad- enemies, but you know, I won't ask for too much because really though, this was a nice way to mix up JRPGs. I mean, most of the JRPGs I play, and I'm, I'd assume the most that a lot of people play is, you know, it cuts, especially the old school ones, is it cuts to another screen, the battle music plays, and you fight. This is very fluid. Um, you, you know, there's no cut to a different, like, perspective or angle. Your character, you know, you engage an enemy, your characters move to certain parts of the screen, and the enemies can move about. Um, and sometimes whether or not you can use certain attacks on these enemies depends on their position on the screen relative to who is attacking, which I think is also very neat. Yes. Um, I also just thematically like the idea of once you enter 680, immediately there are monsters and there's a fight. Yes. I'm kind of cueing you, even though you don't know you're in 680 yet, you as the player, um, and you know, as the characters, uh, you know, there, there's danger here. This is a dangerous place and situation. Yep. Do but we yes. want to talk about more? Uh, do we want to talk about more of the battle system, or should we just, you know, the items um, and text and all that? And uh, I was gonna save that for what works. Um, all or right. What does or what doesn't work? We can. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. People, I didn't know when you wanted to do it. The people listen to this uh, for us to make decisions on air. Um, uh, no, let's, let's go through this plot because, uh, this is a very story rich game. Um, and then after we kind of go through the plot, we can, we can talk about, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how we feel about the plot as we go. But, um, once we kind of wrap up the plots, we can kind of talk about gameplay. Sure. Um, yeah. So you make your way through the forest, uh, and you end up at the, was it Castle Guardia? Yes. Uh, and you find out that Marl, God, I'm going to have to do it. Mar- Marl <laughs> has been mistaken for a princess named Lean? 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 I think I just called her Lean. Yeah. Um, who is Marl's ancestor, um, who has been kidnapped by monsters. Um, and she gets this kind of interesting moment where 
very reminiscent of Back to the Future, where she's feeling like she's kind of fading out of existence, which is the result of Lean being killed, which would obviously then result in Marl never being born. There's their paradox, one of your paradoxes. Yeah, and I love that. Like immediately, we're getting grandfather paradox. Yeah, uh, like we, you know, after our first, it doesn't waste any time jumping back in time. Doesn't waste any time uh, in bringing up one of these time travel specific uh, like plot beats. I love it. Yep, very fun. Um, and then very soon after, or at the castle, right? You meet Frog. Yes. Yes. Um, you do meet Frog. Who is Frog? What is Frog? Frog is a disgraced former knight um, who was turned into an anthropomorphic frog. Uh, did he have the name Frog before he was a frog? No. <laughs> uh, that would have been how, how real wild neat. Would how be? wild would yeah. that be? Um, what was his name? Glenn? His name is Glenn. Um, we will not talk a about- fan of that name. Sorry, Glenn's uh, uh, not a fan of that name for uh, for disgraced former knight. But, you know, uh, we for, actually, for a JRPG character, we will we will talk about Glenn. Um, we will also talk about Chrono Cross. Should we just call him Glenn for the rest of the podcast? That would really annoy me. But let's let's you know, call it'd be Glenn. like trolling me and our listeners. It's actually not a troll for me because um, Glenn is actually the name of a very powerful character in the sequel, Chrono Cross. Oh. Who I'll I'll briefly touch him on at the end. Chrono Cross is its own giant can of worms, uh, but there's a character named Glenn who is very much inspired by Frog, um, who is an absolute beast that gets things done gameplay wise uh, in Chrono Cross. Uh, I also feel like Frog in this game is a beast that gets things done uh, gameplay wise. Um, I love Frog. I think he's probably my favorite character in the game, but um, people have their own preferences. I um, Frog is probably my favorite. Close second, even though I did not use her that much, would probably be Luca. I could see that. I think um, I just I, I really like I really like the whole because Luca reminds me of Bulma from Dragon Ball. Definitely. And I should probably note, you know, while this game was a entry to a lot of, of people into anime, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z were my entry into anime. Very, very related. Um she just reminds me of Bulma and I always liked Bulma and Luca seemed like an even more badass Bulma. That yeah, that's fair. Um, Luca actually, you know, has cuckoo bananas inventions and like shoots monsters with fire. Bulma kind of just wastes time. Um, <laughs> well, but, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love frog. I, I think he's a great guy. Um, I don't know him personally, but everything I've seen tells me he's a great I guy. I wish you knew him personally and I wish you could kind of like, we could go out to dinner pick yeah. his pick his frog brain yeah so uh you have your first boss fight uh to save lean um it's pretty standard monster um we'll talk about boss fights a little bit later but this is a very standard single boss enemy you just kind of smack him with frog and chrono until he goes down um however um with lean saved chrono and the crew go back to the present is there anything i forgot about 680 actually yes there is while i'm talking um so uh monsters are about in 600 ad so we find out we get rumblings uh that monsters are force in this age um and that there is a division between humans and monsters um and that there is conflict and probably a war coming and aren't Um, the monsters kind of like 
living somewhere else. They kind of drove out the monsters from this continent. Yes, yes. Yeah. they drove out the monsters from this continent. They are living somewhere else. I don't know if Magus is mentioned by name here, um, but uh, there is someone in charge of this force of monsters. So uh, one of the things that I really like about this game is that each time you leave a time period, um, part of the story wraps up, right? So we save Lean, uh, we got Meryl back, we're going back to the present, uh, but it always leaves dangling plot threads for the next time you come back. Um, so even though we're leaving 600 AD, we have these questions, right? What's going on with this monster army? Um, who is in charge of them? What does this person want? Um, so those are all questions that will not be addressed until the next time we are in 600 AD. Yep. Um, but we come back to 1000 AD. Chrono thinks he uh, did his good deed for the day, right? He saved Meryl. Uh, not the case. Uh, upon reappearance, Chrono is arrested and put on trial for kidnapping Meryl. Yeah. Um, which to the outside world, that's what it looked like um, a bit. So during this trial, this is kind of a break in gameplay modes. Um, you kind of have to account for the actions um, you took at the fair. So uh, did you, you know, steal candy from someone? Did you, were you nice to people? Did you save a little girl's cat? Did yep. you, all these different little things that we're not going to go into them, but you can do at the fair. Um, based on your actions at the fair, you will either be found guilty um, and sent to jail or found innocent and sent to jail. <laughs> um, so it, overall, uh, it doesn't really change anything. Um, but I think if you're playing it for the first time, and you uh, happen to accidentally do all the correct things, and you're talking to your friend who is playing, and you're like, oh yeah, like they found Chrono innocent, uh, but I still got thrown in jail. I, I think it'd be really cool to be talking to a friend and him saying like, oh, that's weird, because they found me guilty. That's, they still threw me in jail. I, I found this amusing um, playing it. I could imagine that I would very much be annoyed by this every other time I play it. Exactly. I think for the time, it's a cool idea. I think now I'm just like, eh. and to, um, to get Chrono to be found innocent, um, you have to do some really unintuitive things, um, things that you just wouldn't do on a first playthrough. Um, so it, it's almost like why bother? Like, it just seems like a reward only for people that have, that are playing through multiple times. Um, and even then the reward isn't that great. Yeah. Um, but Chrono gets thrown in jail. Uh, he busts out um, and fights a dragon robot. Yep. Um, I only remember that because I think the sprite design is really cool. Yes. Um, this is a pretty straightforward boss fight. One of the more memorable bosses in this game, in a game where I think there are less memorable bosses than I Yeah, it's this big robot dragon and you're fighting him uh, across a bridge. Um, he's like kind of in your way. Yeah. So the environment's pretty uh, scenic and epic. Um, and the boss itself is, I think, uh, interesting visual design. Yep. Um, in terms of actual boss mechanics, this is kind of what begins the probably the hallmark of bosses in this game, um, having multiple parts. Um, so this dragon robot has both a body and a head. Um, the head will do things like breathe fire, um, and the body is more like the HP pool. Um, so essentially the trick for bosses in Chrono Trigger, which we can talk about what we think about it later, um, but essentially we're going to give you bosses with different moving parts, uh, and we want you to eliminate different parts for different effects. Mm -hmm. uh, would you say that's generally the, the theory behind bosses in this game? Yeah, and sometimes in combination with find out what this part is weak to or exactly. realize that, oh, if you attack this part, this other part will heal that part. So you need exactly. to attack the healer first. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, they defeat this dragon. Um, however, they're chased by soldiers. 
Um, and so in desperation, they find another little gate similar to the one um, that pulled Merrill into the past. And with Luca's new invention, the time key or the gate key, they're able to open this gate, um, which takes them to the far future. Yeah. And I, so the, the far future, I like story-wise. Um, aesthetically, it's probably my least favorite part of the game with the i mean i at least it, the the aesthetic got old to me a little you know faster than some of the others and we can talk in a little bit about what by far my favorite aesthetic is of this game i think um, we'll i think we'll agree on that. i think we but, will too uh, but yeah, get, yeah. T- so tell us about 2300 things aren't going too well uh it is a wasteland it is a post-apocalyptic wasteland is this when we find out about lavos i mean because the 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 this planet's yes. basically been like ruined and sucked dry by lot right. by this so, point, right? So you you wind up in 2300 AD and you emerge in this like wasteland. However, your first visit to 2300 AD, uh, you find like video footage essentially of the day of Lavos. Yes. Um, and you meet Robo. And so that's kind of what, what gets done in this first chunk. But yeah, yeah. I was yeah, tell us about the day of Lavos. So I think the the day the the day that Lavos appears is you get footage is from 1999 AD. I remember where I was. I remember where I was. I was worrying about Y2K and <laughs> and then yeah. Lavos just sneaks up. And Would you say that Lavos is like the Y2K equivalent of uh, in the Chrono Trigger world? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, except, uh, you know, actually real and claimed many lives. Uh, yeah, Lavos emerges in 1999 AD and basically destroys the entire world. Another parallel sort of to Final Fantasy VI where the world gets destroyed. Um, So, yeah, and and this is kind of the world that's left. And I'm pretty sure there is really no more food left and everyone is starving. And I'm not actually sure what they're eating, but they're living in these like underground communities where they're barely. Oh, they have these pods, right? Yes, they have like these pods and they have rotten food, but they have pods where they can go to like rest, but it doesn't fill them up. Yeah, like I think the way the game maybe describes it is that the pods keep them alive, but doesn't actually provide the satisfaction that you get from eating and drinking. Right. Which is a really depressing and sad existence. That was another one of my big takeaways other than robo being in the desert. Yeah. I mean, it's listen, I'm going to say it because we're all thinking it. It's like Edward from twilight, you know, like we were all thinking he he drinks animal blood, but it'll never satisfy him the way that Bella's blood would or human blood. Let's, uh, let's stop this tangent before it gets out of hand. (laughs) Um, but interestingly and importantly, uh, the crew sees Lavos, uh, emerge from underground, um, so the information they get is that there is something underground, this creature called Lavos, that in 1999 will destroy the world. Um, so this game has villains and villainous characters, but the overall kind of central villain isn't a figure. It's kind of this moment. Yeah, it's it's um, just this presence, right? This, this, this looming presence of exactly Lavos. this like doomsday is kind of hanging over your head throughout the game. And even though you'll encounter villainous characters, it's kind of really this day, this day of Lavos uh, that you're fighting against. Yes. As you mentioned, you meet Robo, uh, who is a character that I don't really care too much for story wise. I mean, he's not he's not. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll meet a character soon. That's really awful story wise. Um, Robo's pretty useful, I think, at this point in the game, though I, I'll admit I kind of stopped using him. He's probably my least used character of everyone. 
Yeah, we should describe him. He's like a big Toriyama robot. Yes. Um, he's got big old rounded eyes and kind of a boxy uh, physique. Um, I think he, he's well designed. I think he's cute. Um, story-wise, I agree. Um, he's kind of this like last beacon of maybe hope in this ruined world. Like he's still a robot going about his day. And even though he's a robot, he seems to be happy. But I... Robots can fall. Robots can fall yeah. in love in this world and have lady robots. So I'm just gonna say he's a happy robot in a world where pretty much everything else is sad. And plus, uh, and they, they had of... to come up with some character to get like to add to your party from this era. And Robo is certainly more useful than a starved old man. Um, you know, like <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> although I, now I kind of really want the alternate game. I where, would, yeah, I would love that. Where we, we get, get like Rupert, the um, like the you know, the stick thin um, starving man in like a raggedy cloak who I like, can't really I like, do any damage. <laughs> I like the idea that his main gameplay thing is he's always trying to poison enemies with rotten food, uh, <laughs> but like never realizing that in the, you know, in 1080, there's just boundless food everywhere. So they never take him up on it. Jeopardy's could use like joke character. Like sometimes I'll have joke bosses. Like this game has a good has a funny joke boss. Uh they should have joke like characters where it's just an old man who just walks up and like pokes the enemy with his stick and dies in one hit. Yeah, I feel like that would be skewing a little Disgaea. Um because like Disgaea has that stuff. Mm. Um but not in my chrono not in my chrono trigger. Fair. Um so yeah robot neat. Um so they uh find another time gate um and that takes them to a place outside of time. Um, it takes them to the game's hub area. So uh, it, stylistically, it's kind of interesting because um, it definitely seems to be of an era. Uh, it's made of like old brick and uh, cast iron lamps and fences, um, which I think is kind of fun um, when you know places outside of time adopt a very specific uh, time to take their aesthetic from. Uh, but this operates as a hub area for the game. Um, so you can travel to any point in uh, the past or future that you have been to before. Um, you also meet Gaspar. He's one of the sages. We'll meet the other two. Um, and I believe they're named after the three wise men in the Bible. Yes. Um, but he oversees the end of time. Uh, he's kind of enigmatic at the moment, uh, but we will learn more about him later. Uh, we learn magic here uh, and each character gets their own element. Uh, we meet this like little imp creature um, and have to run around him multiple times. Um, the magic is pretty straightforward in this game. It's it's elemental based. Um, so like Chrono gets access to lightning magic, Luca to fire, uh, Meryl to water, etc. Robo um, gets nothing. Robo gets nothing. Isla gets nothing. Yeah. Um, but those who can use magic, uh, that is what they get. So also from the end of time, there is a bucket um, where you can immediately travel to the day of Lavos um, and fight him. Uh, I did this my first time because I was curious and I wasn't sure what else to do. Um, you can beat the game here. Um, this is the first time you can challenge Lavos uh, within the game. Um, and you can come back to the end of time anytime you want to fight Lavos. Um, this is where a lot of the endings come in. Based on where you beat Lavos uh, during the story, it's going to produce a different ending. Yep. Anything else about the end of time? No, just that you're not meant to fight Lavos now and it's better to be done on a, uh, it is better new game be plus or plus plus. Cause you will lose if you try your first time. Yes. Um, so now we get, so that's probably, I would say like that is act one, right? We have pretty much most of our time periods. We have most of our party. Um, and now we kind of begin at act two. Um, tell us what's, what's going on. Well, 
So what you really need to do at this point is you hear about the sword, the Masamune. And the Masamune is what the sword that Frog is looking for in order to battle. Oh, here's here comes the pronunciation thing again. I say I think I say Magus, although I do think it's Magus. I uh, yeah, I say Magus or Magus. Only because Mag- Magus or the the Japanese name I think is Demon, which would be like Mao or something like that. Anyway. Hey, you know, you know what language we're playing the game in? Uh, don't we're playing uh, we're playing the game in English. Well, what if I played it in Japanese? Well, that's fine, but then you leave those <laughs> Japanese uh names at home, pal. Okay. All right. So yeah, so you want to fill in the gaps in my memory about what exactly what you need the Masamune for. Okay, so the Masamune is, uh, I mean, in pretty much it's the Master Sword, right? Kind of in this game, um, it's the sword yeah. that gets shit done. Um, but basically, you need the Masamune um, in order to battle Magus. Um, I believe the Masamune was why Frog is turned into Frog, which we find out later mm-hmm. um, that he was turned into a Frog by Magus, um, that Glenn is his name, and that he was the apprentice to a great knight who uh, wielded the Masamune, uh, if that's correct. I believe it is. I think it is. Um, but essentially, you are tasked with reforging the Masamune, um, which involves traveling across different time periods to get um, the pieces. So yeah. uh, in the present day, you go to a village on the southern continent um, that is populated by monsters. Uh, it's populated by monsters because 400 years ago, uh, Magus won the war um, and gave monsters a continent, essentially. Yep. Um, so you need to kind of go back and fix time um, so that you can get the pieces of the Masamune, deliver them to 1000 AD um, to Melchior, um, who is one of the other sages who exists at that time, who will make the sword for you. Yes. Um, we need, I believe it's called like the Dreamstone. Um, yes. The material, the raw material can only be found in 65 million BC. 65 um, billion? Really? No, I think it, no, it's million. I think it's sixty-five right? million BC. Yeah. Um. Either way, a very long time ago. So the party travels there. Um. And it is the very ancient past, a past where cavemen and dinosaurs live together in harmony, just like the real world that we live in. Yes. Um. Yes. Uh. It is lush and tropical. There are jungles and volcanoes everywhere. Um. Uh, and geographically, the world is extremely differently shaped, which it would be. Um. You know, as continents move and drift apart. Um, so in our quest to gain uh, the Dreamstone, we meet Isla, who is the like female chieftain of a caveman tribe um, in 65 million BC. Uh, she is an excellent party member. She has extremely high uh, physical attack. Yes. She is able to equip no weapons until I believe level 80 and level 90 um, when her fist um, on its own changes to, I believe, like stone fist. But basically she gets a weapon upgrade at very, very high levels. She's already powerful, but with these upgrades, she just she crits every time. She basically smashes enemies into nothingness. I use her a lot of the game, much more than I wanted to. But she was she got shit done, even though I really and I'm sure you agree, think she is the worst character in this game, story wise. Just awful. Unquestionably. Uh, we didn't really mention this, but each time period, the people sort of speak in a little bit of a dialect at that time. So in 600, um, you know, they say like thee and thou, um, and that's how Frog talks. Uh, and then in 65 million BC, uh, Isla talks in this like caveman grunting kind of way, uh, which does nothing to endear her <laughs> to the yeah. player. Um, she just, 
she's just a a good-hearted cave lady um and there's really not much to her who loves her boyfriend i guess and wants to protect her village yeah um which are they, fine, uh, which are yeah. fine motivations but when the dialogue is kind of ooze and uhs and very simple uh you know dialogue it doesn't really do much to endear me to her um, I would say the coolest part of this era and kind of the, the story are the fact that their enemies are these kind of super advanced lizard creatures. Not the all-night uh, bender that they go on. I do love the all-night bender. I will say 65 million BC throw some rockin' parties. They do. Uh, they they love to get seemingly drunk out of big communal bowls and kind of dance on their, their skins until they pass out. Yeah. Um, but we are able to locate, uh, the dreamstone while also battling, um, the lizards. Um, we, uh, is this where we find out the origin of Lavos? Yes. Yes. So upon battling these lizard creatures, um, we find that, uh, there is a star in the sky that crash lands. We discover that, uh, Lavos has crashed into the earth from outer space 65 million years ago. So Lavos does not actually come um, from within the earth. He comes from beyond the earth um, and he has just been right. buried inside kind of biding his time. And one thing, in I'm sorry, he emerges and lays waste to the world. One thing we did, I do not think we mentioned before, uh, and that's my fault for, for, I think I glossed over it, is that previously we are of the knowledge that Magus summoned Lavos, correct um and that is is, which is presumably how he won the war which is presumably why the southern continent in 1080 is filled with monsters um this is the event that we were trying to stop and one of the reasons i bring that up well obviously because it's extremely important to the plot but also because it is the evidence that this game is trying to build you the player against magus and paint magus as the, vil- the main villain of this game, well, secondary main villain with Lavos, but the fact that you could stop Lavos or stop uh, allegedly stop Lavos from destroying the world by killing Magus makes Magus a, a good enemy, that you know, a good target of your hatred. Um, and then we quickly find out that he really shouldn't be anymore. Right. So with the Masamun finally uh, recompleted, we go back to Melchior and he reforges it for us. Uh, we travel to 600 AD and we do defeat Magus. Uh, and at this point in the game, um, playing it for the first time at, you know, 10, 11 years old, I genuinely thought that the game was over. Um, you defeat Magus, who has been built up as this like more traditional big bad. Um, even walking into his castle, I love the way uh, that the art design and the direction yes. work here. Um, you kind of start approaching his castle from a bit of a long way off and then um, like bats fly by it's a very dark and spooky and night. the music cuts the out music. which i loved i love yes. the music just like cut i forgot how long like it cuts out for like the first like brief moment of the of the castle and i should just say this i think this is the best part of the game my favorite part of the game really um yes. all of magus's castle i was i was yes. i was really into it so uh, Magus has three lieutenants, Ozzy, Flea, and Slash, uh, which are all named uh, in the American version after famous uh, American you know, rock musicians. Uh, you defeat them. I'm only mentioning them because they come back later in a uh, side quest. Uh, but you finally get and defeat Magus in the process of him summoning Lavos. Great boss battle, um, too. Great boss battle. Um, it's a lot of, again, like, you know, he's going to change weaknesses. So you kind of have to stay on your toes and figure out what his current weakness is, things like that. 
Um, I love the graphic, uh, like the, yep. the, the arena is awesome. The arena is great. There's a lot of effects going on for the SNES. Um, there's a lot of like shifting and I love Magus's character sprites. Um, he always looks very confident and capable, um, the way he's yes. rendered, um, great, great boss battle. It really does have that feeling like this could be the end of the game. Um, and honestly at 11 years old, if the game had ended here, I, I would have been pretty satisfied. <laughs> Um, however, upon defeat, um, Magus kind of half summons Lavos, but can't quite pull it off. But he's defeated, but there's this time gate that's opened. Um, so kind of everyone gets pulled into this gate, um, taking them to my un unquestionably favorite era, 12,000 BC. I would say overall, definitely my favorite era and the best marriage of aesthetic and music in the entire oh, game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, also, like this great culmination of, you know, if you've been paying attention to the changes that have been going on in the past, um, 12,000 BC makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about it. Tell us about where we are. What is it like? So 12,000 BC is, well, at least where, where, you, where you see it first is this ice age. It's just this snow covered land. Which connects, again, directly back to 65 million BC, uh, where the last thing they saw, or we saw as the player, was Lavos smashing into the Earth like a meteor. It would make sense then that the Earth would go through an ice age. Yes. Um, would it last 65 million years? I'm not a scientist. Um, <laughs> but I, I love that if you've been paying attention, this makes sense. Yeah. And you find that most of the human civilization lives in these beautiful gigantic magical cities in the clouds there are these I don't know how to describe it just these land masses that are floating above the continent and you can get to them by using these kind of like teleport devices from the ground and the and i mean i'm not just the when i, when I was referring to the aesthetic of 12,000 bc i'm not just referring to the ice age i'm referring to everything all of it the idea that there's these cities in the clouds the music is beautiful it's this kind of like blend of like like magic and like technology it's not steampunk it's like something else um it's really cool um and you find out that the civilization's technology and magic are both derived from none other none other than lavos yes. which is really it's really interesting so i i can't even begin to tell you how my jaw dropped first of all when i saw that the game kept going after the mages fight when i was a kid but then waking up in this kind of ice age i was like okay a snow area that's cool um you know I, i'm here for it but it didn't you know blow me away then upon uh going through the teleporter up into the clouds 11 year old aaron's jaw dropped yeah uh, everything you're saying is right the art style the music um, just the sense of place, um, that this is such a pristine, beautiful setting compared to like the hell that is taking place on the surface below. Um, and also you immediately know that something is very wrong because, uh, we are not the only humans on the surface. Uh, I believe at this point in the game, you encounter humans, um, but they're like the, the, they're almost in as bad of shape as the humans at in 2300 AD. Yeah, um, they're starving. They're wearing rags. They're surviving through this ice age. We get up to this place above the clouds, where clearly everything is taken care of. Everything is beautiful. Everything is amazing. Yet 
they are not taking care of the people below. Yes, there um, is a. So it's an upstairs downstairs class. It's an, it's an upstairs downstairs, and immediately it puts you on edge because everything about this civilization on the surface seems very beautiful and ethereal, um, but it actually isn't. Tell us more um, about it and who we meet there. Yeah, so you made the good point that all of the, everything they have, their technology, their magic. It all comes from Lavos, which isn't clear to the player at first, but we learn this over time. So two of uh, the people we meet are Sh Princess Shala uh, and yeah. Prince Janus. Um, so they are the royal heirs to this kingdom. I don't know if you mentioned it. It's called Zeal, um, oh, yeah, which also is a big red flag, right? Zeal, the word zeal means like a fanaticism about something um, to the point where other things may get neglected. I wonder what's going to happen. Hmm. Could that be setting us up? Hmm. So Shala is shown to be very much like the dutiful princess sort of archetype. Um, she is responsible. Um, she cares about her kingdom. She wants to do the right thing. Um, so honestly, a little bit of a boring character, um, yeah. but they, they do some interesting things with her down the road. And in Obviously, fan fiction. I couldn't there. resist. So then we meet Janus, who is Shala's little brother. Um, he's creepy. He always walks around with a cat. Um, and there is a scene where he predicts Chrono's death. Yeah. Um, uh, oops, spoiler. Um, because now that I'm saying it aloud, he does not predict Chrono's death. He specifically predicts that one of them will die. Yes. Um, I think this is a really great uh, use of the medium. We've talked about this on the, on this podcast before, where um, limitations can sometimes make things better. Um, I think in this instance, um, the limitations of the technology, they don't have a lot of dialogue for him. His art style, like he's just this sprite on the screen. Um, and we don't get a lot of details about him besides the fact that he's the prince who has this weird cat that follows him around. And I think uh, a lot of this minimalism really um, sells how disquieting and creepy he is. Yes, um, and, and I, I think... think the minimalism is very much intentional given who I agree. Janus is. I agree. Um, I think it's the kind of thing where this game were remade now, um, like from the ground up with 2021 eyes. I, I feel like directors uh, would feel pressure to do more with Janus or to give him more of a presence mm -hmm. um, because of the importance he carries later. I think it's an excellent use of restraint that they left him just the way he is. I agree. Um, the other characters we get are the queen of this land, Queen Zeal. Um, she's a real see you next Tuesday. Uh, yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> um, she is very single-minded and greedy. Um, and it, it touches upon later things that happen, especially in the Ocean Palace. Um, but I think I always wonder, um, is this who she always was? Was she always this greedy, awful person? Or is it the influence of Lavos um, touching her? I'm glad that you made that point because or that you're asking that question i think it was the latter i think it's lavos kind of influencing and i just think that and i think we've covered certain other fiction in this podcast like event horizon being one of them um where some evil presence is you know influencing someone else and corrupting them Yes. Um, I, I don't think they really arrive at an answer in this game. Um, I kind of wish they were a little more definitive. Yeah, it's my, not explicit my, at all. My headcanon is that Lavos and Lavos is magic because she seems to have it on tap. It is uh, corrupting her. Um, however, in Chrono Cross, the sequel, which we can talk about again at the end, um, it is made clear that Lavos and fragments of Lavos will oh. negatively affect people. Okay, then. Well, I'm um, glad to so, be right. 
she <laughs> she is also uh, being guided uh, by a mysterious prophet uh, who is really not that mysterious because it's definitely mages. It's clearly um, it's yeah, it's clearly. I would have mages. thought that as an eleven year old too. Yeah, and I did you know playing the uh, playing the game for the first time. I don't think it's meant to be that much of a secret. Um, uh, the cat follows him around, uh, which is kind of a little wink if you've yeah. been paying attention. Uh, that it, that it, this is Janus grown up. Um, so now we have a lot of questions, right? Uh, if Magus is Janus grown up, how did he get to 600 AD? Yeah. Um, so now we are kind of, we have all these questions. However, uh, do they like us poking our heads around? No. No. What do they do? Uh, they kill us uh, and the game ends. Uh, no, they, they kick you out. Um, they kick you out back to, and they give you really a punishment worse than death, which is sending you back to the worst time era of this fucking game, <laughs> 65 million BC. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you realize you need uh, like a dedicated time machine, probably one that can fly. Um, the ones you, the one you get are the wings of time. Um, so you have to cross time to be able to get it. Um, the wings of time. You have to go to the far future, the end of time. Uh, we're not going to go over all the details. You got a flying time machine. That's what matters. Um, you can now return to twenty or twelve thousand BC without the need for time gates. Yes. Um, you can also freely travel the world map in every time, um, and travel through time freely wherever you are. So you can fly across the world and then zip across time from wherever you were and wind up at that corresponding spot on the map. Yes. Um, so now we have full freedom to access time um, and space whenever we like. Um, but when we get back to 12,000 BC, uh, fair to say there's been an escalation. It is fair to say that. Yeah. Tell us about it. Uh, well, uh, the queen has taken, um, residence in the ocean palace to operate what's called the mammon machine, right? Which is another biblical reference, um, that I, I, I used to be able to talk intelligently about, um, just Google mammon and you'll, you know, mammon also derives from mammal, from mammary. It's like the mother machine, right? Yeah. Like, anyway, go on. Um, is the mammon machine what's what they're using to siphon Lavos's power? Correct. Right. Yes. Okay. And yeah, I mean, she's trying to siphon more power. Where? Where is this? At the Ocean Palace. Oh my goodness. I mentioned Ocean that. Palace. What a great setting. Yeah. Um, and it's also, uh, this is yet another example of, this is a very uh, society that looks great on the surface, but is very uh, perverted and uh, kind of disgusting underneath. Um, I always think of it because they have the ability to build a palace under the sea and descend there whenever they choose. Um, and yet they are letting the people on the surface suffer. Yeah. Um, and so again, it's this other example of they have access to all this amazing magic and technology, but they're not using it for the right things. Yes. Yeah. And so, and how would you describe the aesthetic of the Ocean Palace? I, I went to go to an outline and I was trying to come up with the words and I couldn't, and I was just hoping that you'd be able to do it. Yeah. I think actually the dungeon design um, or the design, not not in terms of layout, but in terms of aesthetic, uh, yeah. the design for a lot of dungeons in this game feature a lot of like open windows and open views. Mm -hmm. um, and the Ocean Palace is kind of the same way. Um, but the views are like 
to the palace itself. It's like the glass floors you're kind of fighting over. It's like this like dark marbly yeah, everything. or like glass know. walls and you yeah. can see it. It's it's this very both um aesthetically beautiful but also like functional place. Yes. Um it's cool. It's very cool. I love it as a setting. Um Again, it's got the all of Zeal has that very cool like magic techno vibe, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of its own thing that I don't think we see enough of. I think steampunk is done to death. We don't need to. I don't care what happens to technology if steam is introduced earlier in, in time and in history. I don't care. Um, give us more of this. What if magic was introduced uh, in history? Do that. Yeah. Well, what about both? That's kind no. of Final Fantasy no. VI. Yeah, Final Fantasy VI is very good, Aaron. Moving on. Agreed, but moving on. Uh, Who else is floating around in this little party pad they have? The sages are here. Yeah, so that's where those sages are from. Yeah, that's neat. Gaspar Melchior, the other one. Um, What's also interesting, though, is, again, if you've been paying attention, hey, we found these guys at the end of time and 1000 AD and wherever the other one is. The other one's in the future. Is that correct? Yes. I believe so. Yeah, he's in the future. So uh, intelligent players will think, uh, will realize, gosh, you know, how did these guys get scattered across time? Um, So you kind of know going in, nothing is good is going to happen, right? Something's going to happen that's going to lead to these guys getting scattered across time to Janus winding up in 600 AD. Um, So it's, it's building this impending sense of dread. Yes, we know something bad is coming and that's what happens because Queen Zeal... I guess accidentally awakens Lavos um, while trying to siphon more power. Yeah, I don't think she, she doesn't. And that's the other thing about her character. Like she doesn't fully understand what she's playing with. Yeah, she's not trying to like bring Lavos about. Like no, she's not that she, evil. She wants the energy and the power and that she, do, she doesn't understand what Lavos is. She doesn't want to destroy the world. Yes. And I think this is the point where the prophet reveals himself to be Janus. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, uh, come back in time to stop Lavos. Yes. Seemingly, so he has other a lot motives, of those. Yeah. But it, this is the first inkling that maybe Magus isn't quite as bad as we thought. I always like when you have Frog in your party and you get a reaction from Frog because, mm-hmm. which I should to say, I really had Frog in my party pretty much the whole game. Yeah, I was very big Frog Isla. Frog much. Isla Chrono just yeah. destroy everything. Um, but yeah, uh, frog getting a reaction. It's just, it's, frog is full of hatred for, for Magus. And I just like seeing frog be like, shit, he's a good guy. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. God, I'm noble. I have to, I can't kill him out of vengeance now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, he tries and fails to stop Lavos. Uh, who else tries? Uh, Chrono tries, oh. uh, tries to, um, it, it's, I really, this is a good moment, but I couldn't, I laughed when it happened because I was like, was that necessary? Did you really need to, to get yourself vaporized? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I just imagine like, like Chrono being like, just needlessly like sacrificing himself and everyone else being like, why did he do that? Yeah, it has that energy. Uh, he definitely tries to fight Lavos, and Lavos very uh, like clinically and cleanly vaporizes him, so there's yeah. not an atom left. So if you were a DBZ character, he couldn't regenerate. Exactly. Um, ah, every every mm. ce- every cell and molecule. 
Um, but yeah, Chrono, Chrono dies. Yeah. Um, Chrono dies, uh, and the party does not defeat Lavos here. Um, and they get tossed back to uh, they, the wings of time, and they go to the end of time. Is that, or no, I'm sorry. I'm getting way ahead of myself. What does happen after, uh, after our boy Chrono dies? Uh... Wait, what does happen? Oh, so, oh, oh, no. Uh, Lavos, <laughs> Lavos, um, uh, Shala we played this game, saves, promise. Yes, Shala say, I mean, yes. it was, it was like, I finished it like three weeks ago. Uh, Shala saves everybody. Yes. And then Shala, Lavos yes. destroys all of Zeal. Correct. Uh, Lavos destroys Zeal. Shala I remembered. sacrifices herself. Yes. Uh, the Shala sacrifice is important, uh, for those of us playing Chrono Cross and or beating the additional boss in the ds version yeah um but that happens and the you wake up and um zeal is gone um the entire world is now this surface uh kind of snow hellscape um and who has seized the reins of power uh luca she's been bad this entire time <laughs> actually honestly if luca was like you know what um i can build inventions let's do this thing i think luca would probably be the per- perfect person to lead this age of, of humanity yeah but no not not luca uh i'm assuming you're talking about dalton, dalton. um who is kind of this game's I-, I would say like dalton and ozzy together are kind of like this game's ultros would you say in terms of Ab- like comic bosses yeah. absolutely yeah absolutely also um not quite the same in terms of uh, like comedy effect but yeah almost like a hojo in that it's like a villain yeah. that's always around in the background and you're like ah, eh, we're gonna get to him someday but not that today too. uh today is the day we get to dalton yes uh, and we should also importantly note to add to the shala sacrifice is i believe at this time magus reveals to you that not only you know that he was prince uh janus of the kingdom of zeal um but he plots to summon lavos not to do any bad but to kill lavos because shala sacrifices herself um right so we have been misinterpreting everyone has been misinterpreting mages this whole time yes uh frog still isn't thrilled um so we have an option here right yeah you can choose to add mages to your party as a playable character um or you can choose to fight him or you can just leave him right yeah and well so i i wish i don't know how i would have reacted if i was like 11 year 11 years old doing this because normally i it's like a no-brainer why wouldn't you add a character to your party right but I could see myself being younger and being like, no, the right thing to do is to fight Magus. Like, I, even though he just said he's kind of a good guy, like I would probably would have been, I, I love frogs, a character 11 year old me would have been like obsessed with frog as a character. Oh yeah. And I probably would have been all about do whatever frog wants. Let's kill this motherfucker. So I, I definitely did have that urge when I played this the first time. But then, you know, knowing because I had seen Dragon Ball Z uh, when I played this game, like I was already a Toriyama fan. Um, mm-hmm. I just sensed big Vegeta energy from Magus, and big I love Vegeta I, energy. I, I love Vegeta. Vegeta is one of my favorite characters in Dragon Ball. So I'm like, let's see, let's see what's going on here. Yep. So uh, I I let I let him live. I let him live. You know, pretty much every game I have fought him before, um, just to do it. Um, and I think there's like maybe an ending. Um, so I have fought him before. It's a pretty standard boss fight. He's yeah. easier. He's easier than he was before, and you're stronger, so it's it's not 
a challenge. Why? Why not add them to your party though? I mean, if you right. want, if you're working for the true, really the main ending of this game, which I was, I added him to my party. Yeah, he gets access to darkness magic, um, and he is able to uh, create uh, only triple text, right? Or does he get access to double text? I think it's only triple. Yeah, and he, I found he, that to be frustrating. It, it is frustrating. Um, his magic is through the roof, though. It um, is, and I thought I actually thought I was going to get more use out of him and game than I did, but I, I ended up finding out that just the the combo of chrono frog yeah, and yeah. and either like maybe marl or um uh ayla yeah uh, ayla was just unstoppable it's yeah he's fun to play around with um but by this point in the game especially if you have you know your party you've been playing with you don't need him um but i i think he's fun to fun to get definitely fun to try out also fun is defeating dalton um on his like giant uh air fortress yeah. Which is, I got the impression that this is the only technology that, that Zeal had left uh, that survived. <laughs> and Dalton's kind of this bumbling idiot who's at the head of it. Um, I, I have never met a Dalton in real life, uh, with one exception. Uh, I met uh, my good friend uh, and yours. Uh, her roommate's boyfriend's name was Dalton. Um, and every time Dalton came around, he was just a real Dalton. Yeah, <laughs> like, he, he sounds just, like a real Dalton. He was it, just imagine Dalton, and I could see him attempting to usurp control of the world with a flying air fortress, um, as well. He just yeah. he I've never met a, a person in real life that so closely matched uh, their video game character name. <laughs> Did but you he, remind him of this? I didn't. He was very. Like a Dalton, uh, he couldn't tell an SNES from a, a corn stock. Uh, that was not his video games, reading, anything remotely intellectual. It was not Dalton's game. Um, so much like the Dalton in this game. Uh, so I appreciate that the only Dalton I've met pretty closely corresponded to this one. If you're going to take away anything from this episode, it's pray you never meet a Dalton. We're coming down hard again on Dalton's. If you're a listener, Dalton's and, and Glens are not going to Dalton's be and Glens are really just, they're spinning in their graves. Yeah. Um, if you're a Dalton or a Glen listening from beyond the grave and you're spinning with rage, uh, message us, tell us, send <laughs> us, us ghost mail. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. But so we, we clean up 12,000 BC uh, and we wind up at the end of time. Um, and what, what happens there? Because Chrono's dead. So what, what do we do? Well, they tell you, um, or uh, Gaspar tells you that there's some hope. You can get Chrono back. Uh, and he gives you the Chrono Trigger. Oh, I wish I had like a button goodness. I could push to play like a noise. Um, yeah. It's the name. Um, yeah. And now you have the uh, an option. You can go beat the game, um, or you could go save Chrono. I opted for saving Chrono. I think most people opt to save Chrono. Um, the, the, there is one stipulation: um, yes. the item is not one to one. You do not get the Chrono trigger and save Chrono. Right. Uh, you have to power it up. Um, but doing that is basically completing side quests for all of your central party members. So I thought that i got chrono before i did all these side quests are you sure you need to do the side quests in order to power it up i that is a great question that we should have the answer to recording a podcast about it um <laughs> in my in my people will forgive us it's a long game yeah We're well busy so but i mean the the bigger issue is i the bigger issue is in my mind as a player is do you want to go be the game now and not get chrono and not power up your party members 
Or do you want to do all that and have an easier time with Lavos? Um, I think it's an interesting gameplay choice. Yeah. Because especially by this point in the game, um, like we said, if you're sticking with the same party and you just got Magus, you're going to be pretty powerful. Um, if you fight Lavos here, I have done it before. It is difficult, but you can do it. Okay. Um, so I almost feel like this is like the, the challenge mode. Yeah. However, most people are going to want to get Chrono. Um, oh my I gosh. I just remembered. Oh, how did I'm so embarrassed. There's remember there's the whole clone of Chrono thing. That's how you get him back. You don't need yeah, the power. Of, you you got to go get the clone. You do have to get the clone and then I take him it, to death. Yes. Peak. I thought it was both the clone to death peak and powering it up, but maybe not. Oh, but I you, think, I think it's just the clone to death peak. You do have to get the clone from the fair. Um, and then you have to take it to death peak in the far future. Um, and okay. that that will uh, let you participate uh, in the moment where Chrono died, um, and you basically swap Chrono out for the doll, and it's the doll that got yes. vaporized. Um, so we find out that actually Chrono never died. Um, we just yanked him out of time mm-hmm. um, and replaced him with a doll. Very cool. Yeah, like yeah, it. it's a fun idea. Um, rather than you know the Dragon Ball approach, which is no, you died and now you're back and died and back and. No, it's uh, and the game doesn't do anything with this, but it would be kind of surreal uh, being Chrono and being zapped into this different place in time, and all of your friends have been grieving your death, and now hey, here I am. Um, they don't really do much with it, um, but I, I think that would be an interesting like place to explore. Yeah, the character. But if you do choose to uh, wrap up all these side quests, um, Gaspar gives you kind of like vague hints about each one, um, kind of where to go and what to do. Um, but essentially, they correspond to a main side quest for each character that will power them up or provide closure to their character or both. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then one final uh, side, one final quest to wrap up kind of the main story. Yeah. Um, so do you want to go over each of the side quests, um, kind of what you get out of them? Yeah. And and I, we, I, can, I, we can each we can each talk about our favorite um, because people are really sentimental about these. Again, we talked about the charm of the writing and the characters. Um, some of these are genuinely very touching and charming. Yes, I, I agree. And I I would say at this point of the game, I was actually, there's like a the point of time between, not that I don't like the Ocean Palace, but kind of like the, the, the excitement of zeal sort of like wore off at a certain point. And during when you're like trying to escape from Dalton and like the whole sequence on like the ship, like the stealth sequence, I was just not a fan of that. I just wish you could have just, I wish the game would have moved a little bit faster. And this is one of those like kind of classic moments where it's like, look, you can do so much extra content or you can go beat the game. And I think it's fair to criticize a game for killing pacing by giving you side quests to do, but you don't have to do them. So it's like, you know, but you feel compelled to, as I'm sure a lot of gamers would like, you know, you get better equipment. You almost feel like you got to do it, not just to experience the game, but to kind of get yourself ready for the actual final fight and make it easier for yourself. So in some ways I I, I would, I, I guess I would defend some people who criticize the pacing and how like all these side quests kind of slow the pacing of the main story. But also I think it's a little unfair because you do have the option to just go beat the game. Um, yeah. There's some value to this. So anyway, sorry, going back to the main point is that, so for Robo, um, and, you know, Robo's takes place in what, uh, 2300 AD. Yes. Um, you find out that the machines 
from what like the kind of where Robo was created um, were programmed to view humans that like the remaining humans as weak or some of the humans that are, had existed in the time since like the day of Lavos um, and kill them. Any view humans as weak and kill them by taking them to the genodome, which I'm it's just like a slaughterhouse for humans, apparently. Um, yeah, run it's by amazing. this AI called Mother Brain, just straight up borrowing that from uh Metroid. <laughs> uh, and so you, you find this out, and Robo gets very you know sentimental and saying, like, you know, these are my human friends, I'm not going to allow this to happen to the human race. Um, and so he, you know, vows to kill mother brain. And so you do. And also, don't you like kill your old girlfriend or something like that? Well, okay. So that's the thing. There are lady robos. Um, and the lady robo is like getting up on you. Is that where this happens? I think so. Something. Like um, that. so there is a lady robo, but doesn't he, there's one lady robo left that like he gets all chummy with. Uh, I must admit i don't remember i i think the game leaves it off and forgive my vulgarity but robo be fucking yeah uh, he, and robo be, be fucking lady robo uh, yeah. and i think that's the impression you're supposed to get lady robo is just robo that's vaguely blue with a pink bow yeah <laughs> which, which i also love i love when like very clearly things that have no need for gender are given it like miss pac-man like yes exactly like miss pac-man just yeah. give her a bow and throw some lipstick on her and she's a lady so um, Luca technically has like two quests yes. that are focused on her, but there's one where you are supposed to get this thing called the sunstone and you need to charge it with sunlight over multiple millennia. So you kind of go and just keep moving it around until it gets charged with enough sunlight. And I forget the reward of this quest, but. So you get um, her ultimate weapon, I believe. Oh yeah. Um, and it is, uh, I like it because I like Luca as a character, mm -hmm. but it deals, I'm, I can't remember quite if it either um, deals variable damage or if it either crits or deals one. Do you remember mm. which it is? I think variable, but I'm not positive. Yeah, it's variable. So I, I believe it's variable. It's one of those two, but it'll either hit for like, you know, sometimes it'll hit for 9,000. Sometimes it'll hit for 40. Yeah. Um, so it makes it, it makes it fun to have her in the party because it gets, you know, you don't really know what's going to come um, from her using her physical attack. Um, and it makes it enjoyable to use Luca as a physical attacker um, because throughout the game, she has definitely been on magic and support. Right. Yeah. What about old Glenn? Uh, Glenn, um, you come across this area called the Northern Ruins, which is like, teeming with ghosts and i think that the ghost of your deceased friend cyrus speaks yeah, so, to you who is like your best friend but you were also like frog was like his apprentice yeah um and basically what you're doing is you're clearing out the ghosts from northern ruins so that these construction workers can repair it and then i think you you find your way to cyrus's gravestone yes which you can only reach after you have everything repaired. And then um, Cyrus kind of is then at peace. Yes. And I believe the Masamun is powered up. Oh, yes. Yes. That's good key point to remember. Uh, sorry, my memory is slightly hazy on some of these. So, and then Magus' side quest is really, it's, it's kind of amusing because after Magus was defeated, Ozzy, who is really inept, uh, just 
decided to take over kind of like the Magus clan and, and try to like run things. And he's, I mean, he's, he, he's already got all the infrastructure. Yeah. There, I mean, there's, there's a part earlier in the game where you see people worshiping a statue, monsters worshiping a statue of Magus. And then once all this happens and during the game, you go back and there are, Watch people worshiping a statue of Ozzy. Ozzy, yes. Uh, and so that. you basically storm Ozzy's compound and take Ozzy, Flea, Slash, and uh, whatever. The, are those just the only three? Those you just take, the only take three. them all out. Yeah, it's it's another boss battle with them. They're much harder this time. Um, Except Ozzy, but, who's always correct. a joke fight. Uh, also important to note, um, you ideally this is like Magus's uh, like final um, side quest and kind of yep. wraps him up, but you can do this regardless of whether you recruited Magus or not. Yes. Yep. Um, but if you bring him, it's kind of like the capstone to his story. Yes. Um, for Marl, um, this one takes place in, well, between 600 AD, AD and present time, 1000 AD. Um, you find this thing called the rainbow shell and you give it to King Guardia, Guardia, um, but then later in time, you find out that the king uh, is being accused by the chancellor of the kingdom for selling royal treasures. And so you go to the basement of the castle and find the rainbow shell to prove that he's just being set up. And you find out that the chancellor is fake and is actually a monster uh, called Yakra, which I think is a, another repeating boss, which is another well, type of Ultros type Yes. and he is the he is the descendant of Yakra the first who yes. you fought as the first boss of the game in 680. Yes. Um this was the only quest uh that I it really just had barely any story significance. Wasn't a fan um, of it. I wasn't a fan of it. The the really the purpose of this quest is at the end you're given the choice between um three sets of rainbow armor um or one rainbow sword for Chrono. I took um, and this is, actually I took the armor. Yeah, this is one of those yeah. binary choices. You you can only pick one in a uh, playthrough. Um, having played through the game multiple times, like there was one time where I played it so many times that every single person had the rainbow armor and Chrono had the rainbow sword. Um, the rainbow sword is disgusting. It like critical hits almost every time. Uh, the armor is very, very good. I generally take the armor for my first playthrough just because um, it affects all of your characters and it, it definitely beefs them up. Yeah. Um, and then the last quest worth mentioning is another one of Luca's, which gives, it's a really nice moment. You get a really nice moment between Luca and Robo. This is the one I feel like everyone remembers. And it's and part, partially because this is like an iconic like scene where they're all sitting around a campfire. And then Luca sneaks away to go back in time and kind of right a wrong that she did. Um, well, maybe not wrong. Just one of her biggest regrets in life was she, like her mom got injured in a machine that her dad built uh, and it ruined her legs. Yes. Uh, and so she goes back and, and you, you are able to save your mom. Yeah, it's really sweet. Um, you have to input a code um, that you have to, I believe, travel to the present and talk to Luca's mom or investigate her lab to get. Yes. Um, so you have to do a little digging, um, but it's, 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 a very touching side quest, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, so those are the side quests. So you can do kind of uh, as many of those or as few of those as you would like. Um, and then from there, really all that's left is to uh, ch go to the Black Omen to wrap up the story, um, which will culminate with a fight with Lavos. Which is an interesting, uh, what was kind of neat about Lavos is that you can, when you make your way to Lavos and 
fight him. You can actually bypass the entire first phase by running your ship into his outer shell, which is I, which I did not know until after I beat the game. I, yeah, I did not know that until I had played it many times. I think that's extremely cool. Um, and again, it's just, uh, I, I love that they allow for that player experimentation. Um, so you go to the Black Omen, which is this giant fortress in the sky. Um, it's essentially uh, the Ocean Palace again, but up in the air. Um, and it is in the far future. Do you remember what time period it shows up in? Not the far future. I thought it was one of the earlier time periods. Maybe it is, but I, I, I thought the idea was like the Black Omen itself, this fortress has also been like blown across time by Lava's. Well, it, well, the Black Omen actually does appear in every single time period. That's but the, what but what you don't, I don't think yes. you... Or maybe you can access it in any time period. I'm not sure exactly. All I but know no, is that when I answered the Black Omen, it was not the far future. Yes. So, but essentially, like something about the Black Omen, something about Lavos has like broken and it allows it to exist across time. Um, so you go to the Black Omen and you fight your way to the top. We have one final boss fight with Zeal, um, who is now pretty cuckoo bananas. Yeah. Um, but after she is defeated, it is time for the final fight with Lavos. So as you mentioned, um, if you crash your ship uh, into Lavos, you can uh, avoid the first fight. Uh, but we have the Lavos boss fight. Um, so the first fight on the outside, he kind of apes the different bosses uh, you fought throughout the game. Yes. So It's interesting, similar- but it was my least favorite phase of Lavos. Yeah. So, I mean, basically you reuse those strategies. Uh, they even like superimpose uh, scenes of the bosses over Lavos, so you know exactly which boss he's shifting into. Yes. You also know exactly what sort of strategy to use. So you defeat Lavos. Um, we should also describe Lavos because uh, we haven't yet. Um, but he is this massive, spiky um, alien, basically. Um, and his only facial feature is this kind of giant, like maw, like mouth that twists open. Yes. Um, so Lavos doesn't seem to be sentient. He's not. A character we're going to talk to um he just seems to be this mindless beast um but there's so more to we, him there is more to him we go inside lavos um and we see that actually lavos is kind of just this shell we know that lavos came from another world and crashed into earth millions of years ago um but now inside lavos we can see that actually lavos is kind of like a ship um or like a seed um the final boss fight with lavos is against this like alien creature that has been seemingly controlling and living in lavos this entire time um we don't know we don't know why they were sent to earth um it wasn't on purpose was it to take over the planet um no one knows um i just think it's really cool um i think it's a it's a really neat idea um they didn't have to add like a twist to lavos at this point Uh, but the fact that they do i think is really uh beneficial um, and I, I just, I think it's a fun idea. What do you yeah. think of it? Uh, it's neat. I, yeah. I'm, I think Magus was a better villain at the time than Lavos. Uh, I, I will say like story-wise I was interested by the end. Um, but I just, Lavos never completely interested me that much. I like the idea of Lavos more than I like the execution of like fighting Lavos. Yeah, so if you beat the game here and Chrono is back to life and Magus is in your party, um, you kind of get the best ending. Uh, yeah. You get the ending that is the main one, the canonical one. It kind of wraps everything up. Um, there's a big celebration at the Millennial Fair. Um, there's fireworks. You know, uh, Chrono and Meryl like fly away in the wings of time. Um, it's 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 basically the ending you want to get. Yes. Um, however, because this is a game that can be played multiple times and you can get multiple different endings, 
um, there are other endings that can pop up. Um, some of them are, they follow kind of branching paths and kind of do what if scenarios. Um, some of them are kind of just jokes. Um, and one of them is a developer room. So I have a list of all the endings pulled up here. I'm not gonna go into each one in extreme detail, but um, here are some of them. So the default one is the apocalypse. So anytime you lose the Lavos, right? Lavos takes over the world. Um, the main good ending is called Beyond Time, which we just talked about. Um, then there's a slight variation where you crash the epic into uh, Lavos. Um, these are all just variations of that. Um, yeah. There is ending number two, um, where you defeat Lavos after Chrono's death, but you don't get Chrono back. Mm -hmm. um, In that situation, Marl can't marry Chrono because he did. Uh, yes, however, it doesn't end on an up note. Um, it ends with Meryl kind of deciding to go save Chrono at the end. Oh. Um, um, so Never there mind. is, yeah. So um, there is a developer room ending. Um, that's actually one of the harder ones to get. Uh, but basically after uh, you beat the game, um, you go into a room where there are sprites uh, of the developers. Cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah um then there are other ones um you know do you want to go through all these is it relevant <laughs> like should we even bother no i don't think we need no, to no, no, no. i mean i think Basically, we can kind of wrap up the plot yeah all you need to know is that there are different endings some of them are jokes uh some of them like kind of do these what ifs uh but if you're playing the game beginning to end you save chrono um you're going to get the main ending that you probably want to see uh, I think this is kind of where the hook of the game falls down uh, because I think the idea of playing a game that involves time travel and beating it at different times to see different things is really cool. Um, but they, I don't think they do enough. Mm -hmm. um, I played on, or you played on the DS, right? Yes, but I did not do the extra stuff that was DS exclusive. Yes, so the only things to add is it does add an ending. Um, and then gameplay-wise, it adds two, like, uh, two things. There's a layer um, in 65 million BC, we can get some like uh, high level equipment. Um, and there's an optional boss fight with the Dream Devourer. So the Dream Devourer is the fusion of Shala with uh, Lavos. Um, did you fight? You, you said you didn't. So you didn't I didn't. I watched the video of it though. Yeah. So this boss um, is, is tough. Um, but after you beat it, um, you get Chrono's ultimate, ultimate weapon, which does not exist in other versions of the game. Um, this sword is disgusting. It crits every time. Like even on lower levels, Chrono is going to be doing 9999 every yeah. time. Um, yeah. So that yeah. was the plot. Um, that was Chrono Trigger. Um, if you are mad that we are not going over all the endings, too bad. Uh, go Google them and read them for yourself. Yeah, what do you want, um, a four-hour podcast? Yeah, come on, guys. Uh, but that was the story. Um, I thought the story was amazing. And we can segue into uh, things that work and things that don't work, if you would like. Sure. I, I think the story works in this game. I love the story. Um, like I said, I don't think uh, some of the additional endings really work or are satisfying. But I think if you are playing this game beginning to end uh, the traditional way and you're getting Chrono back, you will have a very satisfying time with the story. Um, I agree with you. I think there's a bit of a slump um, kind of after you clear Zeal um, where it's just kind of, hey, do you want to beat the game now or do you want to do these side quests? Um, I didn't necessarily mind that because I feel like the game had kind of showed me everything it wanted to and left it up to me um, when I wanted to beat it. Um, but I think the story works. I think the combat for the most part works in uh, enemy encounters. We didn't fully discuss the combat, but it's a blend of active time battle. So the combat from Final Fantasy 4, 5, 6, and onward um, with um, 
like a combo based system. So everyone has different techniques. Those are essentially your magic spells. Uh, but if two characters have complementary techniques, um, they can wait until they are both able to act um, and then perform a combo tech. So for example, Meryl has an ice spell and Luca has a fire spell. Um, you can wait until both of them can perform their actions and then you can perform a spell, uh, the antipode, uh, that is kind of greater than the sum of either of those two spells by themselves. This also extends to triple techs where three characters at once um, will perform a technique that uses one tech each um, to greater effect. Um, and those triple techs often have uh, like bonus effects. Um, so it might do damage, but also heal. It might uh, heal, but also bestow a status effect, something like that. Yeah. Um, but I think the gameplay for uh, just regular enemy encounters is stellar. I like using those double techs. I like using those triple techs. Um, encounters were never completely brainless, um, but they were never overly taxing. Um, I will say uh, boss, boss fights uh, are where that falls down. But while I am focusing on things that work, I'm also going to throw in uh, the aesthetic. I'm going to throw in the music. I'm going to throw in the art style. Um, I'm going to throw in basically all the things we were talking about earlier. Um, this is a very pretty game, a very great sounding game. I'm going to throw the writing and the characters. These are charming characters. Even if like Isla, they don't have a lot to say and I don't love them by themselves. I think Isla's design and her gameplay utility are enough for me um, to carry her um, as a character. Um, I think the side quests that are in this game um, that we talked about, um, and there are a couple others that we didn't address, but I think for the most part, they're all super beneficial. I think we live in an era of side quests that are like, kill five boars, and then you'll get a plus 0.2% increase in ice damage. Um, these side quests all felt meaningful. They felt emotionally satisfying, but also the gameplay rewards were actually meaningful. Um, so yeah, I just, I love this game. I love this game. I think almost every element fires on all cylinders. Um, where it does fall down, I will say is boss fights. Um, I think boss fights, uh, they did their best to try and make each one gimmicky enough to feel different. Um, but really most boss fights boil down to like, Hey, does this boss have multiple parts? Most do. If it has multiple parts, focus on one part to stop it from doing the thing that it's doing and then focus on the other part. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of mix and match that. Yeah. Um, I also think, as I just mentioned, I think the gameplay mechanic of beating the game multiple times to get multiple different endings on paper sounds great, um, but I think it only works if those endings are worth the time and effort it takes to get to them. Um, these endings don't, for the most part, feel that way. I think what would be a great way to incentivize players to get to those endings, even if they're not maybe emotionally satisfying, is give us a crazy item. You know, give us a crazy uh, like magic spell yeah. getting one of these endings or give us a crazy weapon for someone because you, you know that we're going to play the game through again. So just give us something to make it extra wacky and extra fun. Um, they don't do that. Um, but I think that would have fixed that problem for me. Um, and yeah, that, that's what I thought worked and didn't. I'm overwhelmingly positive. I'm really curious to hear uh, from you what doesn't work, but tell me other things that you think do work. What did you like? My doesn't work list is going to be like Festivus and the only <laughs> attendance is this game. Uh, no. um, what I think works, I mean, I'll echo a lot of what you said. I mean, the music, uh, the aesthetic of a lot of these areas, the sprites, um, the graphics are great. Uh, the majority of the game moves at a really brisk pace. 
which is really nice. Like I, I wrote down Mag, uh, Magus's castle as a great example. It's not like an hour, hour and a half long dungeon that's capped with a frustrating boss. It's a really, it's like a 30 to 35 minute adventure, like a, just a experience. And I, I find that to be really refreshing. I, I think that the early game moves at a brisker pace than the end game does. Um, not a huge you know, slide against the game for that. But yeah, I, I think I, I enjoy the, if I had to like, I enjoy the first half of the game more than the second half, though it's more like this section in the middle from like Magus's castle to zeal. That is just my favorite part. Um, yeah. uh, it's kind of a progressive game. Uh, the, the villain flea is androgynous and Luca that is a is scientist true. that is not objectified. Like Bulma is, yes. is in Dragon Ball. That is extremely true. Yeah. Um, I like that. Uh, I'm again kind of building up what I said before. Like some dungeons are just kind of straight lines to bosses, which I also appreciate. Um, there's no random encounters, which I don't. I wouldn't say is something that I always love. It was just very refreshing to have a JRPG that doesn't have the traditional J- random encounters, like we said before. There are some. Um, Little things. Uh, there's certain like attentions to detail that I enjoy. Um, maybe I'm giving too much credit to this, or maybe I, I this seems a little weird to to have made a note of it. But I noted how Robo doesn't sleep in a bed when you go to sleep at an inn. Mm-hmm. I feel yes. I feel like a lot of games would just have overlooked that entirely um, and had him go into bed. Uh, so I liked seeing him not do that. Uh, there's a funny joke at the end of Marl telling uh, Isla's boyfriend to make sure that they bang a lot. To have kids, have, yes, to basically yes, create of all of them, yes. and I was just—he's just like, don't worry, she's got lots of energy. <laughs> that was the only time during this game I laughed out loud. I was not expecting to laugh out loud at all during this game, so I was very happy to do that. Have you seen those hips? Oh, those birthing hips. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, story-wise the side quests at the end of the game, though I would say kind of taking up time and like gameplay-wise, I didn't love that um but story-wise it felt worth it to me at the end um that was okay that's the majority of like what i think works really well and i'm just gonna say the music again because it's so damn good yeah Um, and if i can just jump in before we move on to your negatives because uh something that i touched on but didn't mention as uh something that worked is um i just i think i think it goes under said how strong the art style is in that every era feels fully realized and i feel like you could have had an entire jrpg take place in 1000 ad with that world map and that art style and i think you would have had a really solid jrpg Mm -hmm. um same thing with zeal same thing with 65 million bc like each of those times um feels like a fully realized place um in terms of aesthetic character design everything which is really hard to do. Like most games have to come up with one look, one style, one era. This game takes what, five, four or five. Um, and it just, it makes it work. Yeah. Speaking of things that don't work, or I mean, yes. speaking of, speaking yes. of 65 million BC, uh, <laughs> yeah. while it does feel like a fully realized place, I just think that whole, every time you have to go back there, I think it's, it sucks. Uh, I don't really enjoy it that much. I don't like there. And this is a segue into another thing I don't really care for. I think there's, there's a lot of random monsters in this game that to me just aren't as memorable as even random monsters in the Final Fantasy series. Um, and many bosses are just random monsters versus like a character from a sto- from the story. However insignificant that character may be or creature may be, 
or even like a you know you know even in final fantasy games or other jrpgs like the the mini boss of an area or the boss of an area will be just this thing that's referenced once and sometimes that doesn't even happen at all in this game. It's just this creature that shows up, like Giga Gaia or whatever. Actually, well, that might have been referenced. And that's the thing, too. So it's it's kind of both those ideas, neither of which favor the game. Um, so on the one hand, you have, like, bosses that really aren't memorable. But then on the other hand, you do have some designs that are really memorable. Like Giga Gaia comes to mind right away when I think about bosses of this game. And I think for a lot of other people, it does, too. Um, but who the fuck is Giga Gaia? Right. Like it's, it's, it's either a really cool looking boss with nothing to them plot wise or a bo- like think about Masamune. Uh, when you fight Masamune, th- th- story-wise, that's really important. I like those separate characters, Masa and Moon, together as a boss fight, they're just some big fat thing. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, the design is very uninspired for that. Like why couldn't you get Giga Gaia levels of design for Masamune? Um, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. And, and speaking more about bosses, I mean, I, I kind of touched on this before. I mean, Lavos isn't really a villain that you learn enough about to hate, in my opinion. It's Lavos isn't really personified and is more of just this evil presence and major uh, contrast to Kafka and Final Fantasy VI. I'll try to stop talking about Final Fantasy VI. Um, I think that there are certain there's certain repetition to some of the boss fights and strategies. I, I, I think that very often it's just like a heavy hitting boss that is just weak to one thing. And I I feel more in this game and please tell me if I'm just having a selective memory, but play a lot of JRPGs in the last like four or five years. And I don't remember having to heal every turn as much as I, for as many bosses in this game as I did in other games. I, I swear there's, there's so much, there's so many bosses that do a lot of damage where if you really don't want to get yourself into some trouble, you need to heal every turn or every other turn. Um, Lavos I, is a major example of that. It's like yeah. every turn is like big time AOE, massive damage, got to heal every turn. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on that um, throughout the years because that is very much a JRPG thing. Like it either will be an issue or it won't for a lot of them. Um, and I, when I was younger, I used to appreciate systems that were pretty generous with healing. Um, the downside though, is it just, it, they can feel mindless. Like you can just, it can feel tapa, tapa, tapa. Yeah. Um, I've kind of come around to appreciating games that, um, or you'll play JRPGs where it's like, when was the last time I used the heal spell? Like I didn't have to, because yeah. there are so many save points and tents and ins and it's like, uh, why, you know, why bother? Or I can, or I heal after every battle in certain games. So it's like, I, I'm almost never using the heal abilities. So I do appreciate that this is a game where you kind of have to have a dedicated healer in your party, um, which makes characters like Frog extra amazing because yeah. he's both super competent physically, but he also gets a heal spell. Um, I can def—I can definitely see that being a cilantro thing, though. I think a lot of people get turned off by that, um, but I think a lot of people respond well to it. So it's that, yeah, that's a tricky issue. And there's something that I think works and doesn't work about this game. And I think that many of the characters do the same sort of thing like Frog, Robo, and Marl can all heal. Ayla can heal, not maybe not AoE heal. But I think that's both good and bad. It allows you to, it allows like some interchangeability with your characters, but I think it almost like they're too interchangeable. It slightly reduces strategy needed. Granted, I only played this game once, so I'm not in the best position to talk about it. You know, like 
I ended up just kind of brute forcing my way through with physical damage at the end of the game, even though I, I kind of tried my hand at Lavos once with like Magus and Marl and Chrono. And I was like, I don't like, and then maybe once with like uh, Chrono, Frog and Marl. And I just like, wasn't a fan of it. And I was like, I'm just going to beat this thing's ass with Frog, uh, Chrono and Ayla. And it just, I, I did exactly that. Yeah, um, there. Well, and that's the other thing too. Like when you look up this game, because it's been around for such a long time, like you can look up people's pro strats about like taking certain parties to certain bosses for certain exploits, mm-hmm. and you can do those things. I never really have um, because I did the same thing. Like if you have a competent party, you can just kind of spash your way through. Yeah, and this is this is a little bit hypocritical hypocritical of me to criticize. Because as someone who, you know, tries to get through games more quickly than maybe like is able to spend less time with games than I used to be able to when I was younger, I, I'm looking for ways to kind of just move quickly. But then I'm also about to criticize the game for allowing you to move too quickly, because I think that certain things like having the Luminaire spell as Chrono and having that earring or whatever that makes you spend like a fifth of your MP, you can yeah. just spam that and yeah get through every single boss battle. And when you do that over and over and over again, it's like I'm getting through Lavos and there's waves and waves and waves of enemies you have to fight on the way there. Every single time was just Luminaire, Luminaire, Luminaire over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And while it loses its like, man, I'm OP charm pretty quickly and gets very repetitive. Again, I don't have to do that. You know, I can fight in a more, you know, dynamic and like varied way. But I chose not to because I was I wanted to get to the end of the game at that point. Um, yeah, and it's not I mean, totally fair for me to say. But also, too, in the new game plus, we talked about how it's it's very story centric and not gameplay centric. Um, yes. It it doesn't really get better, right? On new game plus, like you're you're just going to be spamming all that stuff for an entire playthrough. Yeah, um, not the last, you know, eight. Right. Um, so it's yeah that's that's tricky too even if i mean again really streamlined story arguably better gameplay than final fantasy 6 you know totally for sure but like final fantasy 6 again like better to villain better i think better diversity with characters in terms of gameplay and customization and just being able to vary your play style even though i do think the amount of characters in final fantasy 6 is a bit of a drag and one of the major negatives about the game um Sort of unfair to compare the two, but I can't help it because Chrono Trigger is often called better than six and I have to defend it. Um, <laughs> really uh, more like nitpicks, I guess. And I, will, I don't, it's really not much more. It's just, there's no battle victory music. Okay. Not a but fan I, of that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that was meant to make the game more seamless. It, 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 and it works. It works that way. And then it wasn't until maybe about an hour or two into the game after this point fought maybe already like 30 battles but like i'm just like oh man i really wish there was like a killer battle victory song but i I, you're right i and i that makes sense um and i think the last thing i was gonna say is and maybe it's because i was playing on a ds i really hated there's a section when you're going up to death's peak where you have to avoid this wind by hiding behind trees Mm, the precision with which you have to hide behind these fucking trees i wanted to pull my hair out I, i can't it took me like 20 tries yeah, I could. I had trouble with that playing on like a normal TV. So yeah, I could see handheld that being really frustrating. Um, you know, there's there's a bigger picture thing that I was considering bringing up, but I I'm just gonna 
introduce it. You can take it and run with it if you want. I'm also okay with saving this for another podcast. Um, Cause this episode, we're already going pretty long anyway, for good reason. But this, this game made me think about nostalgia, but also I kind of did away with that. I was originally going to bring that up and how nostalgia impacts enjoyment of a game. Because like I said, like I Final Fantasy VI, I didn't have the nostalgia for it. But there's a there's a repetition in video game fighting, in JRPGs and RPGs in general, um, that is interesting to talk about. Like, and, and I feel like JRPGs might be held to like a higher scrutiny. And, and I'm wondering, like, why would I get annoyed at JRPG repetition and JRPG fighting? But I wouldn't get annoyed at, like, the repetition in Dark Souls, in The Binding of Isaac, um, even Persona 5. And I, and I, and I really think that the, the, the lack of frustration with, like, repetition in a game like Persona 5 is, is disassociated with the style of the game that I very much enjoy. Like, I just, there is a repetition in all these types of games. So why do I find it more annoying in JRPGs. And I, I mean all JRPGs, even ones I love, than in a lot of other types of games. And again, take that, you know, we could let that hang out there for a little bit. I would be interested to hear your thoughts. We don't have to talk about it too long, but I just wanted to bring it up. I I would love to do a topic-only episode at some point. We uh, should. If you'd be interested, because I feel like that would be a very fruitful discussion. Yeah. Because uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Because I, I have struggled with that as well uh over the years because why am i getting so frustrated playing through encounters on bravely default 2 for example where if i go for a monster hunt in monster hunter rise hunting a monster is just as repetitive if not more so oftentimes but why is it that i'm fine doing that whereas bravely default 2 i'm just like ugh, let's go already and the thing that the only thing i could come up with I didn't give it too much. Do you, up, up, do you want to save it? Uh, this, this could, this could be a little appetizer for people. And then they have to listen to the topic. Episode. But what if we never do it? <laughs> no, I want to do, we are doing it here. And now I declare <laughs> it is recorded. Other people are listening. So we have to do it. Oh shit. Yeah. Uh, well, let's be careful what we say about what we have to do. Cause I don't also be, through uh, the magic of editing. You could make this not, <laughs> I could get rid of this conversation, but I'm not going to, yeah. no, uh, no, 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 I'm, no. man, I really want to say, uh, cause I think I have a really good, uh, well, why don't you get, how about this? Why don't you give me the one sentence thesis argument? And then that will leave us to ponder what sure. my, what my thoughts and or rebuttal may be. Sure. Some RPG combat involves selecting commands and watching the combat take place, whereas other JRPG or RPG combat is more engaging and involved. Okay. I have thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I think those thoughts are probably, damn, that's a good point. You are so correct. (laughs) Uh, Let's get to some of the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's get to the fun. This game has been just a horrible drag. It's no yeah, fun at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is like playing a funeral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, God, a, a playable funeral, <sighs> if only. Um, <laughs> hey, that's maybe that's my legacy. Maybe I'll make my funeral play funeral playable, and I, then no one will ever forget me. I can't believe I I I can't wait for you to die. <laughs> <laughs> no, me too. <laughs> I just want to be able to play your funeral. Yeah, um, uh, but don't, uh, don't want you to die. Ones, some, no, I know, I know. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so this is actually uh, when we we uh, cast uh, the movie version uh, of games. Um, this one, I I I don't 
have a good grasp on the cast, but I, I have do a very good because I have a very basic like format. I would love if this were like a eight episode anime um, on like say HBO, um, like top tier, like obviously yeah. Toriyama, but like give it the the to the nines animation um, and basically tell the story. I, I would, that's what I would prefer to, but I forced myself to confront how difficult this movie would be to cast in live action. Well, that's the thing. So you went movie and you went live action. I played the safe bet. I did anime and I did um, like anime in terms of long form and yeah. uh, anime as an art form. Okay. I mean, fair. And I, my first instinct was to do that sort of thing too, but I, I, I thought it would be more fun for a fun challenge for myself to try to that cast this movie. Uh, so you want to hear my cast? Please. Uh, there's one that you're going to love. Um, all right, here we go. Chrono. This was actually the hardest one. Uh, I put like, if you want a younger Chrono, you got Tom Holland. But here's the question. Like, do you want the characters to be all under 25? Like the actors, like it's hard to cast if the, if like all the characters are under like even 30. Um, so I went with a mixture, like a big mixture of okay. ages. Can we um, just can we just play fitting into the time travel theme that the actor or actress um, is just the age you want them to be for the role? Yes, but I think that would, there, I think would play with there's the a couple travel. actors I want the, them the way they are now, even though their character probably isn't. Perfect. Um, all right, so Chrono, I, I put Tom Holland. Really, that was a harder one to do. If you went with an older Chrono, I could see like a Jason Momoa or something. Um, Luca, this one I was happy with. Do you know who Jesse Buckley is? Yes, I do. Then Jesse Buckley. Um, I, yeah, I could see that. Uh, Marl, I put Saoirse Ronan or Charlize Theron. Um, Saoirse Ronan now or Charlize Theron, maybe 10 years younger. Yeah, I like that. Frog, you ready? <laughs> Dev Patel. Whoa, the Green Knight indeed. Yeah. Yeah, the Green Knight. And I actually um, wrote down Dev Patel for Chrono too because I'm like, damn, he would just be good in both those roles. No, he's so much he's, better. He's a, he's a frog. frog. He's a better oh, frog. I love that. Yes. Uh, Robo, I had him voiced by Alan Tudyk, which yes. is probably just because yeah. he's voiced robots before. But I think like a good British voice actor like uh, Peter Sinfranowicz would be good. Yeah, Serafinowitz, who you know is a huge Dark Souls fan and who voices Mild Manor Pate in Dark yes, Souls. Yes, indeed. Yes. Um, um, Magus, uh, uh, or sorry, go ahead. I no, just for Robo. I the other alternate is um, Scott Adsit. Uh, who, That'd be that would be perfect. Yeah, who he's on Thirty Rock, but he big also hero. Played, yeah, he played Baymax, a big hero. I think yeah. that's like the perfect voice for Robo. I totally agree. Um, Magus, I put Willem Dafoe. Oh, that is inspired. Uh, thank you. Uh, I put Jason Isaacs as a backup because I was I was thinking about Event Horizon again. Uh, oh. But I, which is funny because he's not evil in that. Um, but Willem Dafoe. I mean, that's that to me is like. I mean, maybe if you get like a Willem Dafoe around like the Wild at Heart era, um, or like even like a Platoon even earlier, um, I think that could work. Or even now, who cares? How many roles do you think uh, Jason Isaacs has lost to Willem Dafoe? Because <laughs> oh, I bet it's I bet it's more than you would think. Well, he'd lose this one, that's for yeah. sure. Um, and then Isla, to be honest, this is kind of an embarrassing, like humiliating part for any actress to play if you're going to play it's... it like where you have to talk like a cave woman who doesn't know English. Well, but here's the thing: I could definitely see a movie adaptation like owning her physicality. 
so so I went with just like I tried to think of like some of the most badass actresses I could think of, and that's what I went with uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Oh yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think she would really kill this as long as she wasn't like forced to embarrass herself using like that type of dialogue. Well, she was on Lost, so she's <laughs> she's she's open to being humiliated. How dare you? Okay, I'm gonna. Uh, force I, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna use my power to force us to do a Lost episode. I'm just kidding. Oh, I, no. I, I, I'm not going. There to is a Lost video game. I, there um, is. I, I never played is. it, and I don't want to. Um, I love all that casting. I think that's incredible. Thank you. Um, all great. Um, I this is one of the rare uh, fictional worlds where I would live here, uh, and the reason why is I would live in a thousand AD uh, because the world where Chrono lives, Guardia, is seemingly extremely peaceful and colorful. But we go other places in one thousand AD, and it's maybe not as safe. It's still adventurous. They're still mm-hmm. like fun to be had, um, but you're still in like a relatively safe world. And two, there's like the possibility of time travel. Um, so I, I'm, I'm okay living in this world. What about you? Uh, I put no, but to be honest, I'd, I could go either way. I, I think when I was thinking of what I want to live in this world, I was like, is there a threat of like Lavos that I'm going to have to worry about? Um, but I guess if I'm just living my life peacefully and there is no threat, then who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, the, this is the part where <laughs> I've been waiting for. Um, I think everyone else is too. uh, Right. Or people just, this is where they turn it off. Um, So this is the part of the episode where we talk about uh, what would this game, if it were to be a world in kingdom hearts, what would the level be like? What would it be called? Where would the keyhole be? What keyblade would you get? Um, I would love to hear yours. So in, in typical kingdom hearts fashion, Kingdom Hearts levels will cram an entire story for a movie <laughs> into one level in a really sloppy way. Oh, yeah. So here's what I went with. Um, Sora, Donald, and Goofy are kind of are summoned to Magus's castle uh, by Frog and Chrono. And you know what? In Kingdom Hearts, I bet like for no reason, other people, other characters of Chrono Trigger would just wouldn't even appear. It'd be like, why, where oh, are yeah, they? No, nope, we just got yeah. Frog and Chrono. Um, and they're going to have to beat Magus together. Uh, and then you do beat Magus uh, and you, cause really Magus strongest boss in the game uh, in terms of, you know, quality. Uh, and then only to find out that Magus is good. And then you both team up against kind of like a heartless version of Lavos. Love it. Thank you. Um, what's the keyblade? Um, well, well, keyhole first, I guess, is oh, yes. end of time somewhere. I'm not sure. sure. Maybe in under the bucket. Yeah. Uh, keyblade. Um, times protector. Times like possessive. Times protector. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the it. shaft of the key looks like one of Chrono's blades. I couldn't really. That, that, honestly, the, the, the shaft of the key was the hardest thing for me to think about. Yeah. The blade part uh, of the key are a bunch of blades that look like the branches of the tree. Uh, atop Death Peak. Ooh. Uh, and the keychain is the the Chrono Trigger egg, of course. Of course. Or the handle itself could be formed from the egg. I don't know. Something okay. of that nature. How about you? Okay. Okay. So uh, for this is, it's, you're right. It's really tough to think about how do I like cram all this into one level? Because uh, even Kingdom Hearts doesn't really do that. Uh, but I was thinking like with the time periods, so I was thinking the world could be called like the kingdom of Guardia. And I would be thinking that Sora, Dental, and Goofy show up uh, in 1000 AD. 
Mm-hmm. And the actual like world size would be like maybe the size of like Rapunzel's world in Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, so it includes like Chrono's home, but also the town and the fair. Um, and then also just some regular, you know, forest between. Um, so the way I conceptualize this as a level is that um, the same inciting incident would occur. Like you get pulled through time. Uh, but gameplay wise, it would just overlay different maps to show what time period you were in okay so you would take the same level space but then by going through a gate you would like overlay 2300 ad you know what i mean so like you're not traveling physically you're like shifting to different times yeah so i would do that that's Um, that's clever i like that and then i would also have gates around the map almost too Um, clever for nomura to be honest mm, but yeah you're, you're a more clever guy Anyway. True. I would have gates around the map, um, and then activating those gates uh, would like activate the different time periods. Like you would go to those time periods, but it would again all be like in Guardia. But that way, you could get every time period in a relatively small setting instead okay. of being a world map. Um, so that that also opens up more like gameplay uh, elements with like shifting times to like get items or power things up. Um, I think time like time travel would have to be a central gameplay element. So I think that's how the level would look. Um, I don't think you would get the whole Chrono Trigger game story yeah. out of it, but I think you could get a, a decent story involving like Lavos, involving Zeal, because you'd shift to like 12,000 BC and it's like, oh, there's a castle in the sky um, and that would be part of it. Um, but in terms of the keyhole and the keyblade, um, I agree with you. The keyhole would be the end of the world. Um, I was thinking that it would be like on the lamppost, but I also like under the bucket. I actually really like under the bucket. Like I really like you know, the lamppost more actually. I, well, I like under the bucket cause it's like only at the very end after all this, did anyone think to look under the bucket? And there it was all along. The that was kind of my, my thought is just like, Oh, the bucket could be used to fight Lavos all yeah. along. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my keyblade, uh, I did something a little different. So because the world involves you kind of shifting between different times, um, I would want you to get the, the Keyblade like right away. Um, I would want the Keyblade itself to be the thing that shifts you. So the handle of the Keyblade oh. would be um, the, the key that Luca makes. Yeah. Um, and so, because that way then you wouldn't need Luca or anyone in your party. Like you could just have Donald and Goofy if you wanted to and yeah. still shift through time. Um, and the actual like shaft and blade itself, my idea was that it would change depending on the time period. So um, the, the Lucas key is the, the hilt or the, the grip. And then in 1000 AD, it would just be um, like a normal sword. In 65 million BC, it would be a big bone club. In 2300 AD, it would be like, like, a laser, like a laser sword. And because you'd be shifting constantly throughout the level, like it would, it would change a lot. Um, and then I also love the idea of the Chrono Trigger being uh, the keychain. Um, I also like the idea of the wings of time being the keychain, just as like a that was my game. backup too. Yeah. It, so when you leave the level then and go to other levels in this fake Kingdom Hearts game, is the key blade just kind of like a collection of all of those different designs? No. So it would correspond to whatever is closest. So if you went to Tron, it would be a laser. Uh, if you went to like oh. uh, like the Lion King world, it'd be a Bone Club. Aaron, yet again, you are thinking way more than Nomura ever would. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think I really want to like direct a Kingdom Hearts game. Yeah, secretly. I think you should. Yeah. Um. So uh, I think we nailed it on Kingdom Hearts Corner this week. I, I think we did. I fan fiction corner left uh, left me lacking this week. 
I think I feel a little better about it, mostly because I was I was very pleased with some of the things that I saw. It made me think of like the potential. Um, yeah, I mean, I probably ran into a lot of the stuff that you did. Do you want me to yeah. go through what I why found? Don't, why don't you go first? Yeah. So, I mean, there's 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 a ton. We should there say is. that there uh, there's is, a there, lot. There a um, there's the usual um, people are being fucking weirdos thing. You got your uh, your incest with yeah. uh, Magus yeah. and Shala. You know that. Oh, I, thought, I thought you were going to say Chrono and his mom. <laughs> no, <I didn't laughs> which I'm sure is. That. Um, you got some shipping of like Luca and Magus banging. Um, you've got uh, here's the best one. Uh, this one is called Sora X Riku colon Ooh. a love. All right. You're already, you're already talking my language. Uh, did you see this one? Um, I, I think I brushed past it. I had a different angle uh, when I was looking for mine. So we can kind of compare notes. What do you think my angle was? You think I was looking for pervy ones? I think you were looking for pervy ones. Uh, well, I will admit I did look for like a half an hour and then I filtered by the M rating. Um, yeah. Here it is. Are you ready? Yes. I'm going to read the whole thing. Sora was swalking and he saw Riku. Oh, Riku, please kiss me. They made out for two hours and then they were killed oh. by Heartless. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, I love the brevity. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so I don't know why that was uh, tagged as Chrono Trigger, um, but I think uh, it wins for best <laughs> Chrono Trigger fan fiction. I love uh, it. Anyway, I mean, so... I guess I'll, I'll just mention two more one. Um, Cause I think you're going to, you'll probably mention it maybe one or two that are like actually really well-written or just like really fleshed out. I mean, it's not, it's not super interesting. A lot of people were just kind of like trying to novelize yeah. um, the game. And it's funny. Cause one of them is just like, she gives up after like 18 chapters and post chapter 18, which just says, okay, okay. I admit it. I can't do this. It takes if too much time. Yeah. If there's anything with multiple chapters, I immediately open the little uh, <clears throat> tab and I'm like, where did you stop? And I yeah. always go to the last one. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last one I'll bring up, I guess, is that, and, and the reason I note this one specifically is because when I was thinking of my fan fiction, um, my fan fiction was originally, and I'm just going to get this out of the way now because I have a backup. Um, was I want to know, I want to just a fan fiction that talks about the party in six, 65 million BC and just like the rager that they have. Mm. Uh, and then this, and what happens the morning after, and maybe they all, you know, maybe uh, accidentally someone slept with someone they shouldn't have uh, in not a gross way, but someone uh, has a fan fiction of the morning after where Luca had slept with uh, Ayla. Oh, I, ooh, I like that. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. it was, was it Marl and Ayla? I forget. I, it might. It That's was at least a remarkable Ayla. amount of restraint for a fan fiction because it seems like they would just have everyone be fucking. Yeah, um, which is what I would have done, um, probably. And so I thought that was interesting that I, I had thought of that, and then I looked this up and found it. Um, so yeah, that's what I found. Yeah, so I uh, my approach um, because Chrono Trigger is so beloved, there's like a mountain of fan fiction about it. Um, a lot of the things you mentioned, there's like a lot of novelizations, uh, which always is like, guys, just play the game. Um, uh, but and then, and then, of course, there's a bunch of, you know, every possible coupling, every possible inappropriate sexual, uh, you know, pairing. I avoided those um, because kind of been there, done that. Uh, I was really digging into the crossover potential uh, for something like this. 
And I was really sorely disappointed. That is um, really disappointing. Yeah, I want an archive of our own. I, I looked far and wide, uh, but all my usual uh, fan fiction spots uh, that have the like, dark crossover, web that you go to. Yeah, they they didn't have any. There was. I, I'm really sad to say this. I couldn't find it. There's no explicit Sonic the Hedgehog. I was gonna say crossover. Uh, let's have like, a moment of silence for that. Why? <laughs> it's, it's devastating. Like why? Sonic is like the tofu of fan fiction. You can just cram into anything. <laughs> because and... Sonic, I would argue, is weak on uh, its own. We'll save that for another podcast. Absolutely. But what I did find are crossovers that I found interesting for one uh, reason or another. Uh, the first is called Dragon Ball Galaxy colon the fusion. Did oh, you find this one? I did not. Okay, it is by author Dark Chrono915. Uh, and his profile picture is a picture of Chrono with black hair um, with a bunch of black energy behind him. Oh no. Um, here's the thing. Here's here's what stopped me in my tracks. Um, the description, which I will read, and then the author's notes, which brooked no compromise. So uh, here's the description of Dragon Ball Galaxy colon the fusion. It begins with a question. What if all the universes of our favorite anime and games were in fact one universe? Oh no. They are in this story. Years after the Majin Buu saga, Saiyans invade the earth again and a new hero is born. I would love to know how because they're all dead except for Goku and Vegeta. But yeah, okay. maybe this person didn't actually watch the show. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no. Don't worry. We're getting to that. Uh, this is the story of how Chrono, Meryl, and Luca fare against the Saiyan invasion. This is the start of a greater overall story that I am writing. Please read and review. I would just like you to note that the only tags for this story were Chrono, Luca, and Meryl. Would you like to know who does not appear in this story? Mm. Chrono, Luca, and Meryl. <laughs> um, so here are the author's notes. Author's note. They, first of all, if you have to have like multiple paragraphs of author's notes, I think you might have to check yourself. Yeah. Because I think something about the story might not be great. Author's note. Thanks, thank you for stopping by and checking out my fan fiction. For maximum enjoyment of this title, Please accept these facts before reading Dragon Ball Galaxy. <laughs> which I love the phrasing of please accept these facts. Like it's just so like naked and pleading. Like, yeah. listen, I need you to be on my level for this and you will accept it or just don't read it. Yeah. Um, which I appreciate. So number one, this is an alternate universe. It takes place after the Majin Buu saga and the events of Super and GT are involved parentheses i am not the biggest fan of super yet it may win me over but so far dot 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 meh because um, i was really wondering whether or not they liked super well here's the thing this was written in 2016 so i'm like ah, actually super did have room to grow when you were watching it and it does yeah uh number two this is predominantly a dragon ball z fan fiction maybe hence why there's no chrono luca or meryl in the first chapter but I will be incorporating many other universes into this story. It's based off of a story idea I had when I was a kid, when I watched all my favorite anime and played all my games and thought, what if these worlds were one? Here's the thing about this point. Two things. If it's predominantly a Dragon Ball Z fan fiction, why are you tagging it under Chrono Trigger? Also, why are you tagging it under Chrono, Luca, and Meryl when they don't appear in this chapter? 
Right. And, and kind of like if something is entirely Kingdom Hearts fan fiction, why would you take it as Chrono Trigger? And then put a note saying that I know you clicked on this because you thought it would be the fandom of one thing. It is not. It's the fandom of another thing. You must accept it. <laughs> also, I love that Like he's like, I was the first person to watch anime and games and me, of all people, thought, but what if they were one? <laughs> um, I, I just love that this person has the wild arrogance to believe that they are the first person to believe that. Uh, it only goes for eight chapters and just kind of stops. Um, nothing to read in terms of uh, passages. I just loved all the fanfare of it. Um, and it goes nowhere. So that was one. Uh, the other one I found uh, was called Chrono Ball Z. You can kind of see where I'm going with this. I can. I, I was looking for specifically Toriyama uh, Chrono Trigger things. Um, and this one is where it is four paragraphs long. Um, it is by Kini Kuman Go Fight. Um, the description of the story is one sentence, and boy, does it deliver on this premise. Lalos invades the story of Goku. Okay. Um, and that's what happens. <laughs> Oh, that's it. Uh, they don't fight. Lavos just invades um, while uh, Goku is fighting Boo. Um, and that's it. So even in this fan fiction, Lavos is still just kind of this presence. Yeah. He's a presence and nothing more. Yeah. Yes. Shame. Uh, yeah, big shame. And then uh, the last one is called... Um, oh, this was... Uh, yes, I, I saved this one for last. Uh, this one is called The Interference 3, colon, Wings of Time. Okay. Uh, this is by Newbie Spud. Um, this is 186,000 words. Um, this does have a beginning, middle, and end, uh, and lasts for 35 chapters. Wow. That is dedication. Um, can I just let you know that uh, right off the bat... Um, this features an original character named Alex. Alex, I believe, is the author. Um, Not the a good start. No. It gets off to an even worse start. In search of the remainder of Ansem's apprentices, Alexander brings Edward and Alphonse Elric to the world of Chrono Trigger. What? Why? <laughs> Will they be successful here? Um... So it is Alexander, uh, whose full name is Alexander Ephraim Karsath. Um, so I'm pretty Karsak? sure. Karsath? Karsath. Uh, oh. T-H. So I'm pretty sure it's just the author. Um, oh, wait. Here we go. Until recently, Alexander had been a regular teenager of 14 years, going on 15. Two weeks until his birthday, he found himself sucked into the world of Kingdom Hearts 2. Oh. He gained the weapon currently in his hand, which was called the Lock Shield. The lock shield is the direct, equal, and opposite of the keyblade with similar powers and properties. Alexander himself has become dubbed the Interference for his presence within the universe causes changes to the storyline. Um, I also love the fact that as I'm skimming this, which I did before, but I missed these things. Um, he, do you know where he pulled uh, Edward and Alphonse from? Uh, Full Metal Alchemist. No. What? He pulled them from the video game Full Metal Alchemist 2, colon, Curse of the Crimson Elixir. Oh, I'm so wrong then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not Edward and Alphonse. It's Edward and Alphonse from that specific game. Wow. Oh. Um, and there's 185,000 words of it. 
I guess good on them. I feel like I, that's my reaction every time that someone goes all out like this is like, good for you for sticking with it. So here's the thing though. Let's we'll make fun of Alex and his lock shield all we want, but Alex at seemingly 14 wrote more than I ever will. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I'm going to give him credit. Yeah. Um, so that was also there's point. their game selection. They really like that one full metal alchemist game. <laughs> yes. Um, I also love the idea of talking with Alex about this fan fiction and constantly referencing full metal alchemist brotherhood and him getting really <laughs> flustered and yeah. clarifying that they're from this specific game. That's like Not me. Like that's like me taking um, doing like a fan fiction and uh taking kevin McAllister, and someone's like oh yeah from home alone like no from home alone to lost in new york for game boy <laughs> yes yes exactly and any dialogue or anything he does in the movie is not the character referencing exactly You're only referencing his actions and text in the gba or yeah. the game boy version yeah yeah so i think we both agree that this uh is the type of fiction that deserves fan fiction better fan yeah fiction. yeah and that's like why that's why i skipped a lot of the quote-unquote serious fan fiction because i do think this is a game uh that invites uh, a fan fiction because it has so many settings that it doesn't necessarily maximize the potential of yeah and not to the game's fault it's just dealing with multiple time periods and characters you could do a 65 million year bc spinoff with isla and her boy toy um and write you know 185,000 words of that yeah. Um, so I think it should exist. I think there's a place. I think these characters are charming and there's more of them to be explored. Um, I was just looking for the real oddball stuff and right. I am deeply disappointed, uh, that there's no Sonic crossover, but very, you can't win them all. What is, uh, what does your fan fiction look like? Uh, I mean, if I'm being serious, my fan fiction is mainly that I would love to see a fan fiction, um, of uh, like Janus when he wakes up in 600 AD, and kind of how did Janus use his like knowledge and training and magical prowess mm. to kind of claw his way to the top of the monster kingdom? Yeah. Um, I think that would be a really cool untold story. How about you? Um, well, I do want to tell you my joke one, sure. but I also, if I get all these like offers to be a writer Ooh. and have to like leave and stop doing the podcast, I'd feel really oh. bad about it. Um, are you ready? Yes, please. Chrono Tigger yeah ah, so good do you need to step away for a moment uh, uh I, I need to go take a I need to go take a cold shower <laughs> uh and as you guessed but i'll say it anyway in case anyone didn't catch it chrono is replaced with tigger and all the other characters are replaced with other inhabitants of the 100 acre wood stop it stop I know my, my hand is compulsively moving to find a pen so I can start writing it. <laughs> You're about to say like furiously masturbating and you have to stop that too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my, my serious one is not as interesting as that. Um, I think I, I like the idea of an entire story that takes place in the nearer future, like before Chrono Cross in a world specifically where Chrono does not get resurrected. Ooh. I just I, I don't really have any specifics on that. I just thought it would be really interesting to see what would happen. Like, how, what, what would be the story? Does you know maybe kind of like you know you got like Tidus disappears in Final Fantasy X, and then you get Final Fantasy X two where you have you know Luna and all of them. Um, 
Yuna, sorry. Uh, and maybe you just get like a, like a Luca moral game slash story slash, you know, fan fiction, whatever. So that'd be pretty interesting. I, I agree. I would love to read that. Um, however, you are segueing perfectly into, I'm just going to do a little Chrono Cross corner. Sure. Um, and that is actually the central um, crux of Chrono Cross. Um, it is? The, yeah. So, Wait, the Chrono, ca- so Chrono's dead? No, not Chrono, but uh, they're, instead of traveling between time periods in Chrono Cross, you are traveling between parallel worlds. And the key difference okay. in these worlds is in one world, the main character that you play as drowned as a child. And in the world you come from, you survived. Um, and so part of the game is there are other differences in the world, but at the beginning of the game, that's the main one. And so you kind of see how the world carried on and changed because of your character's death. Okay. Yeah. Play Chrono Cross. Um, Chrono Cross is really only tangentially uh, related to Chrono Trigger. Um, it is a sequel, um, but the story, you could play it and not have played Chrono Trigger and kind of be fine. Okay. If you have played Chrono Trigger, it does include a lot of like nods and references and there are thematic things that are the same. But in terms of direct story continuation, it basically only follows Luca and like Luca's adopted daughter. Okay. Um, and she's not even the main character. She's like one of the other main characters. Um, Chrono Cross is its own can of worms in terms of like it has like 50 recruitable characters and a bunch of different stuff going like it is a very interesting game in its own right um but as a direct continuation of chrono trigger like don't at all feel like you have to go play chrono cross okay after you beat chrono trigger also if you love chrono cross don't feel like you have to run out and play chrono trigger to fully get it Mm -hmm. um you should play chrono trigger but they're they're very strangely related games the other thing that i'll just briefly mention is every couple of years you hear talk that they're going to do a, a third game and I believe uh, the name Chrono Break was trademarked at one time mm. by um, Square Enix. Um, that's been a rumor for years and years and years. Um, and if all we ever get is Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross, I am more than happy. It's not as good as Chrono Christopher Robin, the sequel to Chrono Tigger. I feel like I'm wasting your time. Like, why are we talking? Like, I know, just, right? Stop I should just the go podcast make that. and write. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, speaking of stopping the podcast, we can do that. But yeah, we should do we that do, soon. Uh, what, what have you been playing or watching? I'll run time? through it super quick. Uh, by some coincidence, I'm also playing another game that involves multiple endings, uh, and that is Near Automata. Okay. Uh, fun game. Uh, a little bit of that repetition problem um, that we kind of touched on briefly. Um, in terms of watching stuff, uh, Moran and I have kind of been re-watching random episodes of Cowboy Bebop um, in nervous anticipation for the live-action series that comes out in November. I might uh, have to do an episode on the live-action series um, to either talk about why I hate it or hopefully why I enjoy it. Yeah, I would love to, to talk about Cowboy Bebop in general. Maybe we can do the uh, the movie um that came out when the anime first ended that'd be interesting yeah um Um, yeah and other than that i yeah i think that's it yeah i uh i just bought sonic ultimate or sonic colors ultimate because for switch the glitch one the switch glitch one um because i am a pathetic sonic fan um it's not a good series but i've never played colors and i I wanted to get it and then i read about all the glitches Uh, yeah there's a bunch of glitches uh the 2d sections are incredibly clunky um 
Yeah, so play Generations or play Sonic Mania. Uh, I, I played play both Game. Generations yeah. and Mania. Those are both good. Yeah, you you can skip colors then. Um, I'm just playing yeah. it because uh, I am biased and I like colors and I'm a pathetic shell for Sonic. Hmm. But uh, yeah, that's all I got. Um, maybe next week, um, remind me uh, to bring up my own story about um, hoarders because that's what I've been watching. I have a whole like seven minute hoarders story that okay. uh, we're running up on time. But please remind me because I have some some hoarders to talk to you about because <laughs> I want right. to watch them. Um, but other than that, uh, it's it's been yeah, a little while. This was here. great. It was great. I feel like this is a game worthy of a lot of discussion. I feel like we had a really good discussion. Yeah, I feel like people um, who lo- know and like this game will listen to this entire thing, and I feel like maybe a lot of people will skip it because they don't. Yeah, know it and all. if you why well, honest- listen to like three hours of uh, us talk about a game you haven't played? But it's a really good important game. It is a good game. All right. Um. Until next time, then. Yeah, hey. until next time. Take care. Oh, and we should note that we will be continuing our series of recommendations. Yes. So one game and one movie left um, from each of us. Mystery. So, mystery. We will not yeah. reveal them yeah. ahead of time. So look forward to that. Um, as always, James, a pleasure. Thank you for doing this with me. Absolute pleasure, Aaron. Likewise.